and welcome to the Three Levels Deep podcast. We're in December, it's awards ceremony season, but that's not what we're doing today. Today we're just going to be talking about some games we've been playing and a little bit of a recap of the game awards. Uh, I'm Santo, I'm joined here by Matt, hello, and Alex, hello. Awesome. I'm here today. So I know we uh, teased this last episode, but uh, I think let's start off by talking about uh, a sequel to a game that we've talked about fairly glowingly on the podcast before, and that's uh, Wargroove, because Wargroove 2 came out. Yep. Uh, me and Alex have been playing that. I've essentially done everything in the game, outside of a couple mission achievements, so... And, of course, playing multiplayer. <laughs> yeah, we, we haven't meant played... To, we meant to do that at some point. Uh, that didn't end up happening. Well, so, our only multiplayer experience was from the beta, in which you trounced me. Yeah. In classic, in classic fashion, I'm sure if it was ranked, you would have trounced me. Yep. <laughs> That's how that works. Morgroove 2, um, I kind of want to just call it Morgroove. Yeah, but pretty much. I, I, that was like the first note I put in, and then I finished the game, I'm like, actually, no. <laughs> so, not to start off on a downer here, but I think this game's unfinished. Um, did you finish the campaign? I, I'm not, I'm in the last... I'm in the I'm in the home stretch of the campaign, but I haven't finished it. Did you finish the conquest mode? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, the last parts of both of those are ridiculously short, and I think that I I don't necessarily understand why, because it's like it's games. I don't know when they started developing on this, but it was Warcraft. The original Warcraft was like 27, 16, 2017 or something like that. Yeah, I don't it was, believe it was a few years the developers. Ago now released much since so it's like uh well and and you know when it comes to the core mechanics and engine and it even a lot change. of the art assets a lot of the game is the same yeah like a lot of this a lot like the engine's clearly the same engine it's clearly that they've used a lot of the same art assets that they had before which to be to be clear i'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily but the expectation is that the extra effort that they put in to make it a new game would be in the campaign. Yeah. Which it mostly is, from what I've seen. Well, it's mostly the conquest mode that's a bit different, because there's a little bit of like new mechanics there, like the items that you can put on oh, units. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, um, the item... Yeah, okay, the item mechanics are in the campaign, too. They're probably... They're, they're more relevant, I think, for the con- conquest mode. Yeah, because you have more control over them, other than just, here's a couple empty on the map. The, yeah, Conquest Mode is a big new addition. It's a fun little way to engage with like the tactical gameplay. But you know, I personally have always preferred maps where you start out with like nothing. You build your force and you go across the map that way. Recruitment building and stuff like that, which Conquest Mode just isn't, because <laughs> it's just you know all pre-deployed missions basically. Yeah, I think that's that's the main reason I haven't played a ton of Conquest Mode is because I'm not I'm not a huge fan of it. Like so. Conquest mode is basically you got Fire Emblem in my Advance Wars. No, you see, you got Roguelike in my Advance Wars. Mm. Yeah, that's that's kind of the basis where you like you choose one of three commanders as a star and one of three like initial unit loadouts and then random then go across a little random map of events and battles. I feel like it's not totally random though because there's definitely some scenarios where the map and the enemy formation and units are the same and i've seen them more than once yeah some of them seem to be like in different like different orders mostly 
Yeah. So it's it feels like it's a random selection of kind of crafted scenarios to me. So the problem I have Conquest is that the problem I have with the entire game is that I think the game does a pretty good job of pacing out the content like every mission in the campaign like you're getting like new units and like old new like uh, commanders to use and stuff like that so it's paced out fairly slowly which I initially like that but if you're going to do that you need to have a payoff where it all kind of coalesces together the final campaign of Wargroove 2 is two missions Oh, what? One of them's a gimmick mission, and one of them's pre-deployed with, like, a bunch of commanders. Oh, that's awful. So you never really get a chance to have a big, like, blow-off, like, full strategy kind of moment in the game. Because every every map is, like, kind of built towards one particular unit that you're, like, experiencing for the first time. Yeah, because even where I'm at in, like, there's, because there's the four initial campaigns and then uh, there's like a fifth campaign you unlock right it's basically well there's the tutorial and then there's three campaigns and then there's the final one yeah where it's basically like land air sea yeah that's how the campaigns kind of are structured yeah but that means yeah even in the you know even where i'm at in the you know third or fourth campaign depending on what you look at the tutorial is actually pretty long it's pretty pretty easy for anyone that's played Wargroove, though, like the first game. So, yeah, that's a bit of a disappointment, especially because even the first Wargroove had actually quite a number of late-game missions. Almost too many. Because <laughs> there was a bunch of pre-deployed missions like at the end of Wargroove 1's campaign that I, 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 didn't, always, I didn't actually like a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. But there were, there were a lot of them, and they were a thing that the game was building to. In the campaign. Yeah, and the last uh, hardest mode of conquest is like, it's basically like uh, like event boss, event boss, event boss, event boss. And there's like none or very little like choosing what direction you go. It's like, it's the last uh, conquest is shorter than like the easiest intro to conquest. Like by a long margin. Huh. And all the, you know, bonuses that you would be... A- accruing in the other conquest modes like you know all your archers can fire like one tile further or your swordsmen get buffed they're all replaced by debuffs this time so it's it's not a campaign that i want to do over and over again because it just it's just doesn't feel good to complete or it's like oh i'm just getting a bunch of negatives stacked on me for this very short campaign of just like boss fights and you know and you know what this is also this is one of those things that feel like we've talked about before but giving the player debuffs is often just not fun and okay you gotta increase the difficulty give the opponent buffs like Mm -hmm. and it's so obvious too because the enemy units don't usually like have many items only the boss enemies do Yeah. yeah like they don't usually have a lot of interesting kind of stuff going on and i i imagine Part of that is just because, you know, the AI is not actually very good, to be honest. No, the AI is pretty terrible. It's pretty terrible. It's very easy to exploit, Um, which which I feel like you kind of have to. And this is actually one of the things that I noticed even more. I feel like it's more pronounced in Wargroove 2 simply because there's way more pre-deployed missions. And I would say that a lot of the pre-deployed missions 
they kind of rely on you almost abusing the AI in order to complete them because they are just so unfair uh, in terms of like how many units you have to defeat versus how many units you have and you don't get more units or you get a very, very limited amount of additional units. Mm -hmm. Like there's one in particular I'm thinking of where honestly it's kind of interesting because there's like these portals you can kind of, uh, there's like kind of three or four stages to the level and you basically have to uh, use like a flyer or something to cross a chasm and then activate a portal, like capture it and activate it to then get the rest of your units across the gaps, which is kind of an interesting idea and mission, but it's just so stacked against you and it's so annoying that mm -hmm. the only way you're really going to like do well on that mission is just by... Yeah, just abusing the AI's terrible targeting decisions. <laughs> yeah, I think it's slightly better this time around. It seems like they don't always just rush your commander every single time. The AI is slightly better, but it's still... Still not great. We're talking about, like, it only... Only 90% of the time it'll make the obvious stupid decision that you're trying to bait it into versus <laughs> making it every time. Yeah. Uh, one thing that they added for the... I think that this is new to the campaign is like the optional objectives and that's where i feel like a lot of the difficulty came in for the campaign because i thought the campaign was ridiculously easy okay that's fair yeah uh, it, the optional objectives were the challenge yeah. i was trying to get them every time yeah a lot, a lot of them are like uh you know finishing x number of turns or defeat their commander with your commander yeah or like uh don't defeat this monster of a unit that gets to wreck basically kill a unit of yours every turn yeah like don't every... don't don't defeat the boss the yeah. boss instead go for the hq kind of stuff yeah and yeah i think that yeah trying to go for those dramatically increased the difficulty which it, it needed because like you're like you're saying the, the missions aren't actually hard at all it's fun. It's funny though because like a lot of people complained about the difficulty in war group one i even saw a decent amount of people complain about the difficulty in war group two and it's like it's not that bad. Like, the hardest difficulty in this game is your units and the opponent's units deal the same damage to each other. Or the, the like, lesser difficulties is that, like, the opponents basically, like, do less damage to you. It's not a fun way to play a strategy game, in my opinion. Yeah, well, like, and, and it's like, weird, too. One like this, where your units are the same as their units, like, by default. Like, even though if you're, you're different factions, like, your, you know dog unit is the same as their beetle unit <laughs> yeah well it's funny too because like it's so it, it, it would be so easy to alter the difficulty of a lot of maps just by adjusting the number of units that the opponent has because so many of the maps are either entirely pre-deployed or substantially pre-deployed yeah and that's what they do in the conquest mode for the difficulty there because there's the game difficulty and also the conquest difficulty where the conquest difficulty is they, they just get more units yeah uh, but they don't I don't think they do that in the campaign. No. Which, I mean, I guess, okay, it's slightly more effort to make the maps, but, like, it would be a more meaningful... Like, the hardest difficulty is essentially just normal in any other game. Exactly, and, yeah. And the AI is bad, so it really needs a higher difficulty that's even more stacked against the player, basically. Yeah, it would have been nice for there to be like a proper challenge difficulty here, like like what you're saying, like the hard difficulty feels like the normal difficulty, and that's fine. But 
Now, if they're if you make a game that's a spiritual successor to another game, you're going to attract a lot of people that are veterans of that other series. So they're probably going to want something a little, you know, a bit more. Well, and also it's just it's it's the second game in their own series. Like assuming that people played the first game, they're already going to have like a pretty good understanding of how the game works. There's only a couple of new units, and they're mostly in the naval uh, combat. So it's not really there's there's not there's not much to learn. And literally, the first four kind of the first three main campaigns and tutorial campaign, you're pretty much constantly being reintroduced to units you've already seen and you already know how they work because you played Wargroove One. So. Mm-hmm. If they're actually, like, I don't, yeah, I mean, yeah, to not have a challenge difficulty just extremely odd. And the funny thing is, is that in Wargroove 1, there was a challenge difficulty in the arcade mode where the difficulty settings there determined how much money the opponent got. So they got half on easy, regular on normal, and 50% more on hard. So hard was really difficult. Yeah. Yeah, which, that was brutal. Yeah, because being at being at like that steep of an income disadvantage is like you have to really like every single unit that you have has to make like fifty percent of its value back, or you're just gonna lose because they, they, the do, they need to make one hundred fifty percent of their value. Or, or back. yeah, fifty yeah. percent extra. <laughs> yeah, like even the meanest like dad hockey coach will only demand one hundred ten percent. You need to demand one hundred fifty percent. On average, yeah, uh, more than one hundred and fifty percent. If you want to win, mm-hmm. and you know, speaking of arcade mode, that's missing from Wargroove too. Same with the puzzle mode that was in the first game. So it's it's Didn't, it's, it's weird they, to me. Wait, they don't have puzzle mode? I thought they have a level in one of the campaigns that's puzzle mode, basically. But there's no puzzle mode in Wargroove two. Uh, so weird. I I could have I I could have sworn I played a couple. But maybe I'm just getting confused with the first game. Maybe. Like, unless I really missed the option in the options, but I doubt I did. Um, I don't know. It feels like a ca- cash-in almost because, you know, it's missing, it's missing stuff from the first game, and I don't think they did substantially enough more to this game to really warrant the two in the title. Yeah, it feels more like an expansion, to the first game than an, than an actual sequel. Uh, again, you know, with the fact that it's pretty much the same engine, most of the art assets they already had, and it's funny because they also because I think that I think that game added four units. They had an expansion, five, five but they had an expansion for Wargroove One that added like two or three units, and it was just free. So, just on. In terms of like what they're adding, in terms of like the uh, the core sort of mechanics, like they barely added more than a free expansion they did for the first game. And then, of course, there's the campaign. But the campaign, the campaign just feels like mostly a tutorial. Like it's a tutorial almost the whole way through until, like you're saying, only two missions in the final campaign. Which and they, is like, those don't test your skills whatsoever. They're both gimmicks. Yeah, because they're not. They're not like a big. You know, huge theater where you're using like you got to be on point with the land, air, and yeah. Like the final mission of the third campaign felt like it was going to be that, but after you capture enough villages, you get like a bunch of octopus, uh, octopi, and then 
you just easily octopodes see, octopodes octopodes <laughs> and then you just easily steamroll the mission from there like oh, what, what what was the point here um yeah it's it's a shame like you know war has a ton of personality i think like the writing's still good for the most part you know everything's like yeah they they have cute, a lot colorful. of they have a lot of story sections where they're like you know a lot of cutscenes, almost too many cutscenes at times. But you know, they spent a lot of time on those, and it's kind of like, yeah, it's it's reasonably well written. Um, like, okay, I think the characters are well written. I think the plot is not. The plot's silly. It 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 tries too hard sometimes. Also, like they're they have a bunch of scenes where they have like all oh, the music gets tries to get all like slow and emotional, and it's like. It just doesn't quite work, I don't think. Like, they're trying to make it dramatic and serious, and that's not what the tone of the game is. And they do it way too often. Yeah. The actual stuff that they added in terms of, like, the units and, like, the, you know, super groups and a lot of the commanders, I think that's all well done. Yeah. But it's just a question of you put in, you know, additional content, but you didn't put in enough good content to use that other content in so i'm personally like kind of disappointed and it's an it's an okay game but i was expecting more yeah it's like wardrobe 1.5 yeah and i i i do like what they've added i think that we talked about this with wargroove the first time around where it was trying to address sort of some of the, the deficiencies in Advance Wars and especially the naval combat. And they seem to have doubled down on that where they're just like, yeah, you know, people thought we improved the naval combat, but but it's still not as good as it could be. And they tried to rework it again. And I think the naval combat's like more interesting and like they've got some good stuff. Um, but like, oh, we slightly tweaked the naval combat to make it a bit better. That's not... It's not really like enough to make a whole game out of. I feel like the multiplayer maybe, and I think they've got like, I think they, I haven't really spent time with it, but I think they've got a bit better. It sounds like they've got better like kind of matchmaking now and, and things like that. Yeah, they put out like a patch that addressed some like multiplayer things and a bunch of bugs, which I actually encountered like a bunch of bugs when I played the game. Oh yeah. Which really surprised me because again, this is like, so similar engine-wise to the old game. Like, I had an, an archer that I literally couldn't target from the enemy team. That's a bad time. That's pretty bad, yeah. Oh, <laughs> actually... Have, have a range unit pe constantly peppering your forces. I managed to... Uh, there was one bug. That, I think there was only really one bug that I had, but it was a very consistent bug where my mouse would stop working. Oh. And I couldn't select anything. And the only way to fix that was to use the just keyboard controls to do stuff but there are certain positions in like the menu trees where the keyboard doesn't really seem to work very well and so it was really frustrating because my inputs would basically just be like broken every once in a while and i'd have to like alt tab and tab back in and use some keyboard thing to get it out of a menu and i'm like why like, this is such a weird issue. And yeah, sometimes I would just be like, I'd be targeting, like I'd have an archer or whatever, and I'd be targeting, and then I just couldn't target anyone. 
and I have to fall back on using a keyboard to like move the cursor around. And it's just, it's just a weird bug. And it, if it happened like once, I wouldn't be that upset. But it felt like it happened like every two or three missions. I would just have this, Jeez. this like weird input issue, and I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, I, I had issues with the items as well. Like in the conquest mode, you get like a little like you know extra progression that you unlock where you know you play you get currency you unlock stuff uh and a couple of things you unlock is a, like a couple starting items for your squad like a starting weapon and a starting armor but i had conquest modes where it seemed like they were assigned to the same thing and they overrode each other uh, so it's just like okay well i only got one of the units one of the items i'm supposed to start out with here like that's silly yeah i like one of the items like triples your unit's power but they take extra debt damage or i forget exactly how it is but like you it does more damage but takes uh extra damage back and another one that um like makes it say your unit always crits regardless of what happens and both of those just like seem to not work at times oh that's weird yeah the always crit one worked pretty well for me i that was one of my like favorites. i think it was like a, i had an archer to shoot trying to shoot a naval unit and it didn't work unless i was standing still to get the crit normally it was like super weird and I had one like really annoying bug because there's one mission where you're like kind of defending the central area and bridges uh, appear and then crumble uh, after a few a few turns. And like the last part of the mission is to retreat down one of these bridges to uh, like a safe zone. And the optional objective is to like keep a couple like generic units a lot specific generic units alive. And as part of the uh, ending like cutscene stuff like after you no longer have control of the game like the last bridge collapses and one of my units was on that that i had to protect you it, there's nothing pointing you to this bridge collapsing at the end of this mission because at that point all the bridges are now like active and the impression is that they're not going to break and you basically just have to retreat from this horde of units that's been uh, accumulating but it counted my units as dying so I just didn't get that optional objective and I had to play the mission again. It's like, uh, really? <laughs> like, in-engine cutscenes. It's a bad thing. Because <laughs> they denied me that achievement. I don't, know, I, I don't have anything else to say about it. I'm just like, maybe, you know, they can add back in, like, arcade mode. Puzzle mode. Like, obviously, I can just play random maps against AI if I really want, you know, the pre that not the non-pre-deployed like mission stuff that the arcade mode had but you know it'd be nice to have you know a progression just like a little bit of progression like the arcade mode in the first game was very bare bones it was just play five maps in a row with the same commander and that's it so yeah like yeah well and it it also you know potentially just gives you yeah it gives you a a structure for it right it it like th that's the thing about video games at, in a nutshell, right? Okay, you've got a game loop and then you've got some sort of like reason to be doing the game loop. And just doing random maps against the AI, you're like, yeah, you can do that, but it's just not something that it, it's not kept track of. It's not like you're, you're it, it's putting the onus on the player to basically self-motivate and it's just more difficult to do that. Like, 
Like, let's say I wanted to play all the maps, like, because there's a bunch of skirmish maps, right? Let's say I wanted to go and play all the skirmish maps. Which ones have I, which ones have I played? I don't, even, I don't even know. Like, I've played some of them. Which ones? I couldn't tell you. And I'm sure that there's, even though, like, we played some skirmish in the first game, I, so it's not like I played every skirmish map in, in the first game, and I didn't play a lot of arcade mode, but in theory, if you played through arcade mode and finished all the progression, that would mean that you've played all the maps. And then they're skirmish maps, so they're more set up for that actually full-fledged... Like war the, groove experience. Yeah, the full, the full war groove, like the full combat experience, right? Like you can build any unit you want, you know? That's, <clears throat> that's the thing. The campaign, the way that it essentially is a continuous tutorial, uh, that's, that's good. Like, I think of a lot of games like RTSs or strategy games in general where you've got a campaign that in some ways acts as a tutorial and then you're ready to kind of like you know take on multiplayer or take on just general skirmish or whatever but you still need to have some sort of structure to sort of show players well what what have they done you know have they actually completed have they seen all the content even right and like the the arcade mode's a great way to do that if you set it up to just be like, yeah, you know, each commander plays a different set of maps or whatever. And I don't know. It just seems like an easy, it seems like an easy thing to do. That they've done before. That they've done didn't. before. <laughs> In the same engine. So what did it, what even what even's happening? I don't know. I you know, and you know, we keep saying it's the same engine. I wouldn't be surprised if they did a lot of work on their engine behind the scenes, like internally, that they probably felt justified a new release. But, you know, that that's the thing. Like the, the differences between what seems to be basically the same to a player and what's actually going on from the dev side. I, I understand that that can be like really, really different. Like even something as simple as, oh, here you can put any of these items on any unit that could be an immense amount of engine rework behind the scenes that is not obvious to the player, depending on how they've done it. But it makes it... Like, I, I suspect this might have been what happened with the game. They probably put a ton of effort into it to the point where they had to release a game because the, the, the studio needs money. But probably a lot of the work they did was... was more like you know, know. Re refactoring things in the game engine and, and in the back end of it chucklefish from what i understand is a small studio and all their games that they've made have been very successful which is just Wargroove and starbound starbound sold 3.5 million copies and they also do publishing work for other games mm, okay i don't know so it's yeah we should move on there's not much else to say i've played two other games. Um, one I'll talk about very shortly. It's called uh, Reverse 1999. It's, it's a gotcha game, so I'll, I'll be short. Don't worry. 9,991. <laughs> yeah, that would be the reverse of that. <laughs> um, I started playing this game because I thought it was made by the same people who made Arknights, which is probably the best gotcha game going. Um, but it doesn't seem... It's not the same studio, so either this is a bunch of people that left the original team and made a game, or they're just ripping it off whole hog completely <laughs> in every way except for the core gameplay. 
like all of the progression, a lot of the art, like uh, style and stuff like that. And a lot, like so much of the UI looks the exact same pretty much. Um, but like in, not, not like they like stole assets or anything like that. It's all unique and it's, the art's actually really good. That's the best part about the game, but uh, it's just kind of funny to me. Um, and the, the real reason why I want to even bring this up, like I've, I only played it for like a month. I pretty much stopped playing it because I'm like, eh, it just didn't grab me. Is because it's like a turn-based role-playing game. Uh, and it made me really realize why I didn't like Honkai Star Rail. A lot of the point of gacha games is kind of like limiting player progression by, you know, having to summon like duplicates of the same character to power them up and stuff like that, having to grind resources to level up characters. So it's not like a traditional role-playing game where you, you know, have a start, you basically have like a beginning, a middle, and an end, like a, a progression of like battles that are going to progressively get harder as you play it. Like I was able to completely destroy like the campaign of this because I just like, you know, spent my resources leveling up characters and then they were just like way stronger than the campaign really needed. <laughs> so it's like, okay, you're kind of, you're not gating, you know, character progression and power to campaign or anything progression or power so it just felt completely out of whack until you get to like the special events that get run where they like ratchet up the difficulty really high because it's a limited time event so that's like why i didn't really like which sucks because art's pretty good and the combat's kind of interesting where it's like it's card based but like really limited where each character only has two cards and so like they'll randomly show up and then you can spend actions to move them around in your hand and if you move the same cards together they'll merge and become more powerful as well as like charge up your character's uh, meter towards their ultimate uh, a little bit faster than just like throwing out attacks so it was like kind of interesting, interesting we're like okay do i want to spend this turn kind of like building up my power uh for later turns or do i want to just like try to like spam attacks and like take out enemies and stuff like that and like you know standard bunch of characters have buffs and debuffs and other effects like that so the core of it seems decent except for the fact that it's a gacha game so all the progression mechanics completely destroy the core of it so mm -hmm. and and also i should i should mention that if uh the gacha aspects of it is the best thing that you can take from arknights it seems to be fairly generous you get a good amount of currency and like, if you're going for specific characters, they make that way easier than other games. Like, other games, like, they'll release a new character, and there'll be, like, 20 characters of that rarity you can get. And it'll be, like, okay, so that means, like, getting any particular one of those, like, 5%. So if you want this specific new character, like, the one or two that they in just introduced, you have, like, a maybe, like, 5 or 10% chance to get that specific character in like the 3% chance that you have to roll a character of that rarity in the first place. Whereas this game, it's like, okay, the new characters, there's a 50% chance that if you roll that rarity, you get that character, which is way more than like any other gacha game, basically. And as well, they're like, okay, if you summon X number of times, you'll just get a guaranteed uh, character of that rarity. So if, if you're going to, you know, implement the gacha money draining mechanic, at least like, they did it in a way that is at least a little bit more player friendly than most other gacha games. Uh, but that's about it for that. I don't know, uh, Matt, have you uh, spent your time with anything recently? Uh, 
Yeah, fair bit of things. Uh, I have been playing a lot of Fortnite lately. Fortnite. Uh, All right, what well, character skins have they introduced <laughs> since well, like last uh, well, month? Going back a little bit, because like last month they actually ran a um, a mini season, which was back on the original map, mm-hmm. um, which I. I mean, I only started playing Fortnite this year, so I never got to experience the original map. And since I exclusively play no build when it comes to the Battle Royale, the map's not exactly designed around that, considering it was the first map and no build wasn't a thing at that time. Right. Um, like it, it, it still worked, but there's a lot of hills, like, and you got to go around. There, there's, yeah, no, uh, it, it, it was all right, but... I mean, getting to experience the original map, at least, was was nice. Uh, but yeah, now they're on to this, the new season. Peter Griffin! <laughs> oh, yeah. Buff, buff Peter okay, Griffin. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Is that stupid buff Peter Griffin? Is that real? Yes. That's ridiculous. It's got... I'll accept it for hitbox reasons, but other than that, like, <laughs> that, it don't look right. It does not look right. Well, apparently it's even a reference to an episode where he was buff like that, but okay. <laughs> um, uh, the rest of the stuff that you can kind of get with him out of the battle pass is actually pretty cool, because it all kind of goes back to the early, earlier Family Guy stuff, so it's all like a bunch of references, like, okay, no, that's pretty cool, like, his glider for coming in is the Peter Copter, mm-hmm. um, his... Uh, skydiving like trail behind him is like two wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube men coming out of his hands okay uh his um me- his melee tool is the butt scratcher butt scratcher here um and of course his emote you can get is well have you heard the word oh god <laughs> yeah so well if they're if they're going to you know pull a bunch of family guy jokes at least you know it's from the stuff that I actually watched. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, in addition to that, Snake as well. Um, which uh, No cake snake. He, he doesn't... Uh, <laughs> you can't actually start start working towards unlocking Snake till like, halfway through the season. He's not available yet. Oh. Uh, but, yeah, I think Peter's around, like, level 70 or I think 80 I think in I the saw Battle some, Pass. I think I saw some memes that were just, like... Snake, if Snake is in any more crossovers, his butt's gonna like implode. Ne- next, it his, just keeps getting smaller. His next appearance, his glutes, he will have Hank Hill ass. Yeah, <laughs> his glutes are disappearing. Which it's it wouldn't be the first. Actually, there is an instance of Hank Hill ass appearing in Fortnite at Spider Man twenty ninety nine. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. The I mean the new season, new maps, good bunch of fun new weapons they actually have attachments now um which you can add at a workbench or like weapons on the ground will have a random assortment of attachments so it adds a lot more variety okay so you're picking up so off Fortnite the has crafting it's not crafting now <laughs> i mean it's always had crafting but like it's also added it, they seem to be turning Fortnite into the next roblox because they've also added a bunch of modes, new modes. One is a crossover with Lego. It's just a Lego survival game. Um, okay. Played a little bit of it. It's, it's all right. Not not exactly my thing, but it, it's cool. Like and even 
So, like, all I think, like, almost all the original skins have, like, Fortnite original characters have, like, a Lego version of them for the mode. <laughs> and there's some crossover skins that do have them, like... The Star Wars ones have them, because obviously. obviously Lego has the Star Wars license there, so yeah. that's no problem. But they've also added a Rocket League racing mode. What? Uh, <laughs> so, so basically, it's Rocket League, but racing. It, it's not the... That's not, not the Star that's <laughs> Hold on, Rocket no, that's... But Rocket League was racing, but soccer, <laughs> like cars with soccer. How how is it even remotely related to Rocket League if you're racing? Is there a ball? No. <laughs> yeah. So you got the Rocket sense. League car. It, it's really fun though. The, the oh, racing. Yeah, sure, fun. but. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think this is. I, I think broadly, this is just. I mean, I, epic. Do the cars have sick air control? I guess this is like the Rocket League thing that they could uh, put into it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, sure. Okay. No. Um, and do you the... do you get to use sick air control to do better at racing, and win better? Use it to avoid obstacles. Okay. <laughs> or, I, I, I uh, guess. Or, or jump up to a track on the ceiling or walls. Okay, that's. that's uh, but yeah, I think more broadly, like, Epic's been quite clear about this that um, in their press releases, like their investor press releases, that Epic Games basically wants uh, Fortnite to be the metaverse because every company just fucking seized on that and yeah. i think honestly i think fortnite's at fortnite actually has like uh interesting things happening that arguably are a lot closer to that like they've had concerts in fortnite which i think is like it's not something i would i would go for that seems kind of pointless to me but like a live event in the game is like actually they did wrap up the uh the mini OG season with a live event. And it was pretty, because like it kind of like goes into this whole, it, like you're, you're watching this rocket take off as like for the last week, there's been like this asteroid just frozen in place, just like about to hit the world. Um, and like it just, the rocket comes down, creates this huge rift that the asteroid then goes through. Then like the entire world gets sucked into that rift. And then your character's just out in space going into these other worlds. And it was basically just a trailer for all the new modes. Yeah. And then Eminem was there. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I and mean, like, have like, to have the rap god. Like, that, that's the thing. Epic, Epic basically sees that Fortnite is a platform. It's not a game. It's a platform. So they're trying to develop that in whatever way they can. And so they're just like, new modes, everything, everything. We will try everything. Yeah, it, including the one, one I didn't get to yet. There's a Guitar Hero Rock Band mode now too. Yeah, what the, <laughs> what the hell, man? It's a uh, platform. So, so it seems to be that there's tracks that change on a daily basis, but then if you want to be able to keep playing them, you have to actually like buy if you want to have access to the tracks anytime you have to buy them from the shop for actual money okay but like there's a free assortment of tracks you can play each day i mean you know what that's a cool idea i think one of the things that i i suspect was a challenge with the whole uh, business model 
on Rock Band or Guitar Hero and other rhythm games is like, you can make the game, sure, and you can sell DLC, but people just loot, like, players drop off. Like, people lose interest. Having it be, okay, well, you have to pay for every song except for the songs that are free today, that's actually kind of a way to try and retain player interest more long-term and then generate hype, too. Because, like, mm -hmm. as soon as a song that is popular that people are interested in hits the, like, oh, it's free today or it's free this week, and people hear about it, they're going to come back. And then if they like the song, they're going to buy it. Keeps, like, a continual revenue stream going. So that's actually, that's actually a... I don't think I've seen a rhythm game that does that. Uh... The weird guitar hero. Oh god, uh, was it guitar hero live or the, the yeah. one that was like you could play on a phone? Oh, like connect to well, well, I think you could like connect like a Bluetooth guitar to your phone to play or something like that. Mm. Or, Bluetooth well, guitar. Because I, I remember the, the Wii guitar is a Bluetooth guitar technically. <laughs> okay, yeah. technically you are technically correct. Yes, but like I know the last guitar hero. I, I don't, it, it was a full price game. But then you had to, you only had so many plays per day, and you had to pay for extra. Yeah, it was it was something <laughs> like that. Um, I forget the exact business model for but that. But it, it was whatever. It was a disgusting model, though. It was a horrible one. Yeah. Well, and like, yeah, I think this is. I think part part of the problem with with rhythm games, I think. If you're using licensed, like like pop popular music in general, is that you are going to get crushed? You're going to get crushed with licensing fees. Yeah, and especially these days, like you know, it used to be that if you wanted, you could make a game that just analyzed music files, like Audio Surf. Audio Surf's amazing. Anyone who hasn't played it needs to go back and play Audio Surf or Audio Surf Two. Even though the game's pretty old uh, now. Assuming you have some MP3s on your computer. But you need MP3s. Yeah, <laughs> you need MP3s to play Audio Surf. But you can put any MP3 you want into Audio Surf, which is awesome. And you can't really do that these days because people don't download MP3s as much. People mostly just stream stuff, which means you're at the whims of having, you know, having to pay licensing fees, and you're not. You're just going to get killed on licensing fees. Yeah. So. I think at the time it came out, though, Audio Surf worked. Oh, Audio Surf worked great. I mean, I assume it still works great. MP3s are still around. Yeah. And yeah. Something that was like the case for, you know, Rock Band and stuff like that when it came out, because that was still really before, you know, music streaming really took off, is that a band having a song in those games boosted the sales of those songs a ton especially for like indie bands like mm -hmm. yeah I, I can think of there's so much music that i discovered because of those games yeah um so like i think that at the time there was maybe like an argument to be made to have the license fees not be that exorbitant because it's just like this is such a good platform to show people music that maybe mm -hmm. like they were able to negotiate that down a little bit yeah yeah, but you know, if you're trying to keep something alive for the long term, I think that it's it's definitely it's a struggle. And even games that technically support it, you know, they mostly don't want to. Like Beat Saber, I love Beat Saber, super cool game, VR rhythm game. It fits VR really well and it works really well for a rhythm game. 
And you can actually, uh, if you if you have a third-party kind of mod installer, you can actually put arbitrary music into Beat Saber. Now it's a little bit more complicated than AudioSurf because with AudioSurf, the game itself analyzed tracks to generate the kind of blocks that you would uh, collect for puzzle mode or whatever. Whereas in Beat Saber, the kind of blocks that you hit uh, have to be manually created. But there are third-party tools that people can use to create the uh, block layouts for Beat Saber. And so a lot of popular music, basically anything that's like reasonably popular, um, you know, pretty much any band that I've looked up that isn't super small usually has at least a few songs in Beat Saber uh, when you look at the third party stuff. But the actual official stuff from Beat Saber is like way more restrictive because yeah. it's just a licensing issue. Like, and, and of course, you know, you have to pay someone to generate the. Yeah, the well, that, well, that's the thing. It's that like the official stuff is way better content it than is, that third party stuff. Like, it is way better. Yeah, because you know some of these third party ones, there's only one difficulty that is insane. Because I think <laughs> obviously the people that are making the content for this game love the game and are way better at the game probably than yeah. most people. Yeah, anyone willing to go and create third party mods for Beat Saber is probably pretty good at the game, and so there's a definite lack of easier. Uh, easier modes I've noticed. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to pick up the Steam version of Beat Saber so I can just connect my quest and just mod the Steam, put mod tracks into the Steam version instead of messing around with the quest. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, now the developers of the developers of Beat Saber, they, uh, they, they, I don't, it doesn't, I don't know if it's that they just don't care at all about the modding community or if they actively dislike it but basically every single update breaks it and mm -hmm. they they update beat saber like pretty frequently uh with uh, not just bug fixes but also you know they do have dlc uh every like few it seems like every few months they they'll release like a new album from an artist that you can download yeah, I, I that was, you pay to download earlier this year i, I went on and i was surprised to see oh there's a there's a queen uh pack now yeah but literally like almost every update, if not every update, to Beat Saber breaks all the mods. And so if you if you do use modded content, you basically kind of either are constantly fiddling with annoying annoying like uninstall, reinstall, third party mod bullshit, or you're just like setting your game to never update. <laughs> one one thing that I wanna backtrack on, speaking of that uh, uh, guitar hero game. Uh, it was Guitar Hero Live, and it did have a small amount of songs that you didn't have to do that, like pay-to-play pay stuff. There was some included oh, okay. on, the, on the disc. It was like a rotating track of like potential like DLC songs and stuff like that. Oh, okay. And they also did something interesting where it was like you can purchase a like a 24-hour pass. So if you yeah. were having a, like a rock band night and you want access to absolutely everything because like you know not everybody's gonna have the same music tastes <laughs> come to a party you can just like purchase like okay one day pass to just access all the content which i honestly don't think is that bad uh for like because that is a use case i think least. that's i think that's a cool idea yeah like as much as as much as people like uh begrudge microtransactions like that's that's not the that's not nearly the worst use of them <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I think when it comes to a rhythm game where, you know, the actual music artist has like, of course, an interest in being paid because their music is being played, and the game developer has to spend a bunch of time making the the rhythm tracks that you're actually, you know, hitting. Uh, and seeing kind of the quality of some of the third-party things for for these games, like I get it, like it's like it, it's a lot of work to put that together. So, and even even a game like Audio Surf, I loved Audio Surf, but you know, the it didn't always do the because it was just an algorithmically generated thing. It didn't always do the best job at matching the actual rhythm of the music. At times, no. And like it, the, and like there was like specific like weird things where like certain certain songs just had like a ton of like those white blocks that you know, like needed to bring to the bottom of the well to clear. Like some of them had way more of those than others, and so like for the few achievements that were in the game, who would like recommend certain songs that had a bunch of those to clear certain achievements that yeah. involved getting a ton of white blocks and stuff like that? So that's yeah, I mean that's just you're inherently going to have challenges trying to do something algorithmically like that. So, I don't know, it's, yeah, I, having to purchase music for your rhythm game, that's like some of the least offensive DLC to me. That being said, I'm not giving, putting Activision off the hook here for that because the amount of songs that they shipped in their full price game was way less than they had shipped in their full price other Guitar Hero games. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, yeah, I think that's, that's, my main, that's the main thing is like, is the cost reasonable? I mean, when you consider that, when you consider the amount of sales and the amount of money that like they their costs would be essentially for licensing and paying for the tracks to be produced like sometimes it's like oh yeah we want $20 for one album of 10 songs and you have no choice to buy them individually if you only want a few of them it's like that's that's pretty steep yeah and i think it has some to be of the, a really good album <laughs> yeah yeah but because I'll, I'll tell you, I'm I'm not the biggest album listener when it comes to music. Like this, a lot a lot of my favorite albums have like you know three or four tracks. I'm like I don't even like this song. Yeah, it's like well, fine, whatever. Well, and, and, and I, I'm an album listener. <laughs> when I when I bring that up because I think that's the way that the Beat Saber model works, and I think Beat Saber is probably the one of the most popular current rhythm games that's like still selling DLC, and the way they price it is it's like you know this artist has released a Beat Saber collection and you buy all of them regardless of whether you want them all or not. And it's like 20, it's like 20 bucks. It's like 15, 20 bucks. It, it, it ranges it, like yeah. 12 to 20-ish. It like depends it, on the artist. And yeah. even then, sometimes they'll go back and add more tracks for that artist that you then have to buy. Like a volume two pack or something? Uh, or? No, they kind of just add it in and then you can just buy them at a reduce cost if you've already got the the other the uh other one yeah but it feels pretty steep yeah um and, and well actually i don't know if you guys know what just dance does now uh they pandas i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um they've just got a like a like it's just one uh application now and right. it just it's just yearly updates now like a yearly pass essentially you can buy to get all the new stuff mm -hmm. which i think is kind of a good way to go with a rhythm based game yeah I, i'm like fine just, with that if they're producing enough 
stuff to be worth it. Again, like that's the thing. I, I like I actually think that this is one of those cases where there's a legitimate reason for ongoing costs. I just think that may, I just think that sometimes it's a bit steeply priced. Yeah. But at the same time, then we're also talking about like you know Beat Saber's a VR game. VR is just a niche market. And There's what, not actually a lot of users. And then with those prices, we're also looking at the conversion to Canadian dollars as well. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I want to I want to get Persona Five Tactica. Do I want to spend eighty bucks for it, or if I want I, the DLC, a hundred and three bucks? I've made my piece with the eighty dollar price tag. I hate that I've made my piece, but I have. Yeah. Well, Nintendo. <laughs> Nintendo can't make games, and you know that they're here's the. Thing. You know they're never going to go on sale, so you have to. It's either eighty dollars or you don't get to play the game. Oh man! <laughs> and, and that's why I'm glad. That, like they didn't take it away in other regions, but they did in North America. I'm glad they brought back the vouchers. Yeah, so you get a little bit of a discount. Yeah, you you buy like the two vouchers for I forget what the price is, but it's, it's less. Like, it's less than buying two full price games. Yeah, I think it's like one. Yeah, forty. Like you get a ten bucks discount on each of the games. Or something yeah, like, that. like I and like I saved even more because I used. I bought two vouchers earlier this year. I used one of them on Tears of the Kingdom, which is a $90 game. Yep. <laughs> and then the other on Mario Wonder. All right, so... It's a Fortnite. <laughs> uh, I think I'm done with Fortnite now, but... Uh, well, yeah. actually, I'll just jump in. So I... Since we're on the, since we're on the Switch train here, uh, I actually also got Mario Wonder and uh, beat it. And I know we you talked about it a little yep. bit. You've yeah. played it. Now I've played it. Um, but you mostly, you mostly played co-op? Uh, yeah. Pretty much played co-op with April. I uh, Yeah, I liked it. I, I I think that... Now, obviously, co-op's definitely a bit easier for the most part. Yeah, how are those timing-based levels? Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, there are some levels that trying to play co-op... Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, no. Especially in the special world? Yep. Oh, man. I think... Oh, the, overall... There's not too much to the difficulty of the game, but in some of those levels, I can see co-op just being adding the difficulty. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a few levels where trying to play with more than one player definitely makes it harder. And there were a few where we're like, okay, I'm just gonna do this one on my own just so we can finish it. <laughs> oh no. Uh, oh, and and okay, I have to say there is exactly one level in the game that feel I really loved it. And I feel like it's way out of proportion with the entirety of the rest of the game. I don't know if you felt that way in the special world. Is it the final? No, no although no. no, although the final final. Final the final, final, final two copy. It's <laughs> the fact that a level has actually got final final in it, I was like, that's really funny. <laughs> well, because you had to a hundred percent everything else to unlock it. Yeah. I, okay. That so that level is definitely more difficult than a lot of other levels, but it's the yeah. final final level. Yep. So that's fair. Yeah. But no, it was the timing challenge with the uh, wall jumping. Oh. Okay. I just got crushed. I I got crushed on that one, and uh, part of the problem was that because we were doing it co-op, as soon as any one of if even if one of us died, it would be like the camera would shift. And the camera mm. shift wrecked my timing. Yeah. Um, but also, I don't know. I just it took us a lot of tries to get past that one. And maybe it was because we were trying to do co-op, and it was just harder with two people. But uh, 
I felt like that level was way harder than everything else in the game. Yeah, even solo, it took me a little bit. It's like, okay, no, I'm definitely going too slow. Okay, now I'm going too fast. Oh, that's that's what was so <laughs> tricky about it is that uh, you, you couldn't. You, the timing was such that if you went as fast as possible, you died, and if you went slower than necessary, you died. Yeah, especially right like when you get to like right at the when end. it really yeah. starts getting fast, like. Because the speed, the timing is like, it's increasing as it goes. Um, like, at the end there, you kind of have to be perfect on the timing. Yeah, I basically, yeah, basically it's like, there's like a section where you have to be a bit slower than it. And then you just have to like, get the timing right to shift into going as fast as possible. And getting the timing down perfect. And it's just like, so, so on the, so on the, on, yeah. I don't know. I'm thankful that grabbing the big purple coins stays even after you die. Oh, yeah. As long huh. as you don't exit the level. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Having to get... I, yeah. That would be extremely tough to get all the purple coins in one run. And maintain the timing. Yeah. So, yeah. That being said, super fun level. And actually, I would say that it was like it was just like a really pure platforming level which I liked, and actually that was my biggest complaint about Mario Wonder overall, is that they're constantly introducing kind of like, you know, single single level gimmicks and stuff like that, to the point where I feel like there weren't actually many levels that were just pure platforming. Like, which was actually kind of like, I was like, huh, like this is... That's always the thing that I think Mario has done well is the gimmick levels. But this one just has too many. <laughs> every level has a wonder seed, and every wonder seed is a gimmick. Hmm. A lot of them are good. A lot of them are really good gimmicks and like the, pretty fun. The second level might still just be my favorite. Da, 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 da. <laughs> All right. For on a plant musical. Product so musical. good. Okay. <laughs> it's great. It's great. It's a great set piece. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. Uh, I feel like, yeah, probably, you know, playing single player definitely would be a bit more challenging. And, and that's one of the things when I'm trying to, when I'm trying to compare its difficulty to like some of the more classic ones, I'm like, I mean, it would be more in line if I wasn't playing co-op. <laughs> the elephant's pretty cool. I yep. like the elephant. But yeah. So You're yeah, big, I, you can knock stuff in front of you with your trunk and you can use your trunk to store water and shoot it out later. Yeah, I liked it, and oh, I, no. I, they prop back flood, <laughs> living flood. No, flood, flood was cool. I, I, I actually, I think Mario Sunshine got it got too much hate. That being said, it got hate for the same reason that I'm complaining about right now, which is that it turned into flood game instead of like pure platforming. I think the reason I'm pretty sure the reason I ended up disliking Sunshine so much was because I went for the hundred percent. Oh, yeah. There was I feel also... like if I played it again and just played it to beating the game, not 100%, I'd enjoy it more. Yeah, there was some <laughs> bullshit in Sunshine. But also, yeah, Sunshine was more like a puzzle platformer than a platformer because of Flood. Uh, yeah, there are there were a couple other things I, uh, I played as well. Um, I checked out a bit of uh, Checkmate Showdown. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, which is I watched, a, I watched you play around with yeah. that. That's an interesting little game. It's a chess fighting game. 
Okay. Uh, so basically, the way it works is this the video game equivalent of chess boxing? Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but the way it works is, I mean, you're presented a chessboard. You've got all your pieces. The pawns function normally, the way they would normally. But all your back row pieces are also fighting game characters. So if, say for example, you move your rook to take their bishop, it becomes a fighting game between the rook and the bishop. Oh yeah, okay, I've seen this. But the, uh, the defender could actually win, and then the attacker's piece gets taken. But then they'll have re- diminished health. Their diminished health stays. Um, but the, the pawns are powerful in their own way in that they, they can just take one of those pieces without having to enter a fight. Um, and obviously, like, the king's the most powerful piece on the board. So you can be in a checkmate situation and defend yourself. Yeah, it's weird because there's, like, <laughs> chess boosters that literally can't happen because of this game. Because, like, if you get put in check... Like, you're not actually required to, like, move your king, right? Obviously. (laughs) Because the game ends when the king is defeated in combat, so the king piece needs to be able to be taken at points. So it's just like... (laughs) But the the fighting in it, it, it's pretty simple, which I think is probably the best way to go about in this thing, because you're kind of trying to blend chess and a fighting game. So, like, making it easier to pick up for people who don't necessarily play fighting games but play chess um so it it's pretty the characters are pretty simple and they have uh they don't have motion inputs it's just directional inputs for their moves um which i think is a good choice but Mm. uh yeah no it's a pretty fun uh i don't know that there's very many people playing it now though yeah uh unfortunately I mean, I feel like you've already substantially narrowed the audience, and then you've got all the classic problems with online games, fighting games in particular, at retaining an audience. So, yeah. I mean, the chess portion of it, like, apart from the pawn play, it's not really that important, honestly. (laughs) Like, the... Because, you you like, can brute force your way across the board and yeah, just take your yeah. pieces if you're like good. The, the one thing that <laughs> I guess matters is that like if you get into a fight, like if you try to take a piece and there you have another piece that could also like try and take that piece, that character comes in as an assist, and then you can call them to assist, and that seems seems pretty powerful. But other than that, like there were multiple times when I saw you playing where the defender just won. <laughs> so yeah. it's like it doesn't really matter if you like perform like an expert move to like threaten like two pieces at the same time with your knight or whatever and then they like move a piece and then you go attack the other piece and then your knight just dies. <laughs> like it's it's inter- it's, it's interesting it, but it, it's I don't a know. it's a very fun concept. Um but it is actually uh made in collaboration with chess.com to try and find yeah, that's hilarious. try and oh, find really? that balance wow. okay. between uh, the two genres. Um, I mean that's about that's about the best you could possibly hope for then, in terms of like retaining your audience. <laughs> like, do you still get a chess rating, like an Elo rating? 
Uh, I don't think so. I want to see. I, I think want... there's probably a, like matchmaking Elo behind the scenes. I mean, I'm sure there is behind the scenes, but it would just be funny if it just like, yeah, yeah. had the same chess Elo. Yeah. I, I never did a ranked. I just did like a little bit of just public matchmaking. But yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's simple but fun. So, so I mean, I feel like chess chess is just like. There's been so many like just silly, like chess concepts that that people have made, like, and I don't think it's gonna stop. I still want to check out five D chess. Five D multiverse <laughs> chess with time travel. Yep. Yeah, we need to we need to play that sometime. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, moving I need on. To go back and play Shotgun King. It's had some major updates since I mm. last played it. Is it 1.0 yet? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Possibly. I I got it free from Twitch. Prime, it must be out. I don't know. Um, yeah, so something else I checked out was uh, Dredge. So Dredge is a. So this was actually nominated for uh, uh, best indie and best debut indie at the Game Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't win either, but uh, or, it's an honor to be nominated. It's, it's an honor. <laughs> to be nominated. Um, like I saw some people complaining about because like. I, I, I don't know. I It just kind of sucked me in. It's, so, okay, to start off, it's a fishing game, basically. Mm-hmm. You control a little fishing boat, and you're just going around spots, fishing, dredging up stuff from the bottom of the sea floor, and, like, as you say, as you, like, travel and fish, time passes, and once it starts getting dark... Uh, that's when, uh, your sanity starts, uh, oh, kind of slipping. Okay, so Lovecrafting and fishing then? Uh, and then you start seeing eldritch horrors. Um, you can even fish up, like, aberrations, which are just, like, these, uh, eldritch, like, variations of every type of fish. But, surprisingly, despite the, the horrors, it's surprisingly a chill game. Hmm. Um, especially th- there is actually a mode that allows you to turn, uh, enable passive mode. So those horrors won't actually attack you, but they'll be there. So you're still seeing them and then you can just have it be a fun, just calm, eldritch fishing experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a- as you play, you can get upgrades to your ship. You have a grid based storage system for your ship. Nice. And, uh, you can expand that and then... Certain slots are, they're not dedicated to equipment. Like, you can store stuff in there, but there are certain slots in there that, okay, these are for holding this type of equipment, but you can also, if you're not using up all those slots, you can also just store stuff there. Um, So, you can also upgrade the number of those specific storage slots as well, and eventually upgrade, get, like, a pretty fast ship. The the ship starts out really slow. (laughs) Um, so, like, you're not going too far, but there's, basically, you've got, like, five areas in the game, all kind of separated by a bit of the vastness of the ocean, um, and they did actually recently drop, uh, their first DLC, which added a, a new area, um, that was alright, it was, like, seven bucks for, like, maybe about two hours of my time. Alright. So, like, uh, alright. Yeah, no. Like, if you're if you're looking for like a fun little fishing game that's kind of repetitive, which is what I saw some people complaining about. Um, but I mean, it's a fishing game. 
Yeah. I, you, I know, ex- you know what's like, repetitive? Fishing. <laughs> yeah. If you're playing a fishing game, you're kind of expecting repetitiveness. Uh, but yeah, and there's, a, there's a bunch of little like side missions. You can encounter characters and have they'll have you do side missions for them. And there's an overall main quest where you're collecting these five artifacts or four artifacts. No, it is five. It is five. And then there's like a couple different uh, kind of biomes. Like the area you start with, it's just like a little couple islands, like right in the middle of the map. Uh, then you've got like an area which is like very cliff-like. One place that's like a little more tropical, and there's like this giant kraken under the surface. And if you sail over it, it'll try to actually whack at your ship. Uh, there's like a swamp area and a volcanic area and then the dlc added a arctic area um and there's like a ton of different varieties of fish to catch but it's just it's a fun little indie game i enjoyed it very much nice cool um i've also been i'm just like now i'm just thinking like fishing chess (laughs) (laughs) how does it work (laughs) But uh, uh, Spider-Man 2 came out, Marvel Spider-Man 2. I've not been playing that because I don't have a PS5. Ah. Mm. But to avoid the Spider-Man itch, I have been playing Spider-Man Remastered okay. on PC. Um, which is bit, It's just a graphically enhanced version of the PS4 version with, with all the DLC included, pretty much, and some additional suits you can change into. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've, I've just been replaying that just to scratch that web swinging itch to keep me from buying a ps5 buying a ps5 <laughs> dude yes. i i was like oh you know final Fantasy 16 it's been kind of out for a while i wonder when the, when the psc port is finally coming it's like oh oh it's probably not coming for a while yeah uh, it was like a, it was like a year and a half for uh, ff7 remake yeah it's like oh no <laughs> I, I can't spend like $650 on a console to, just to play Final Fantasy 16. I can't justify <laughs> it, man. There is a Sony game that will get me to drop that money. Yeah. Unfortunately. And that's if they do a Bloodborne sequel oh, or man. remaster that doesn't come to PC. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's Spider Man. I, I mean, I haven't really talked about it on here before, I don't think. No. I mean, it's. Like, it's got fantastic web swinging. Uh, Number one bullet point of what you want in a Spider-Man game. Yep. Well, we talked about this, too. Like, that's what you want in an open-world game, okay? Good movement. Good traversal. If the yep. traversal is fun, the game will have a much easier time being good. I have only fast-traveled five times. One is because there's an instance in the game where it's like, it forces you to fast-travel back to Peter's apartment to see him getting evicted. <laughs> okay, well, of course, yeah. Hey, of course. You know, <laughs> I, sometimes you gotta get back home pretty fi- pretty fast. So the other four times is because there's an achievement tied with fast traveling five times. But, wow, <laughs> that's not an achievement. Uh, I know. Um, oh god, but, damn it! Uh, actually, and it, I was I was actually kind of just see, and I would be like, make an achievement, beat the game, no fast travel. So. There, yeah, that'd be a badge of art to not have that yeah, achievement. Exactly. But outside of those, I haven't fast-traveled at all. But there, there is actually something fun that they do with the fast-traveling, though, uh, which 
I, is off by default in the remastered, I guess because it doesn't need the long loading times that it did originally on the PS4. And that's when you would fast travel, you'd get these cutscenes of Spider-Man just on the subway. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, that's, that's like, and there, there, there was, so there was a handful of different ones you could see too. But it's like <laughs> they turn those off by default in the. Uh, in the remastered, you can turn them back on. They're I mean, still if there. It were, yeah, <laughs> I mean, if it was essentially just to hide loading times, then I guess yeah. I could see that. But I still think that's a fun little thing, just like seeing Spider-Man take the subway. <laughs> still uh, in the suit. Yep. Oh my god. Still in the suit. <laughs> uh, see, that'd be oh, that'd be funny though to just like because the loading times aren't necessary, but just like randomly every like every one in ten fast travels or whatever, just like you randomly get one. So you don't know. That would be that'd be funny. Is he ever like just like on the ceiling? Uh, I I think so. That would be good. Yeah. Cool. That that that'd be good. It's just like it just gives you the subway. Sometimes he's just standing around. Sometimes he's on the ceiling. Sometimes he's on the roof. New York <laughs> New York transit's so good that even superheroes will take it. <laughs> So fast. Well, there is one cutscene where he's just sitting there on the subway next to another guy just in a Spider-Man suit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, this uh, Spider-Con, whole train of Spider-Man. Th- this game, though, it's like I early on in the podcast, you guys did like your top fifteen games, and I've like I've been struggling with like figuring out mine. Because I, w- I want to do my top 15 at some point. Yeah, totally. Um, this game is definitely on there for me. Uh, it's a fantastic game. Like, it feels great to play. The combat's great. It, it kind of it subscribes to the, uh, the uh, Arkham style of combat, uh, where you kind of build your combos and then you get the finishers. Okay, but like... Let's take a step back. How, like, you played Spider-Man 2, like, GameCube, Xbox era? Yes. PS2 era? So, like, is it like that? Because that predates Arkham. Oh, it's been so long since... Did it play like that? It kind of did. Okay, yeah. wow. Okay. Um, but, yeah, obviously, like, it's a, the combat's a lot more flashy than Batman because you've got... I mean, you got your web shit. You, yeah. you can you jumping around, web swinging around. It, I mean, some of the Batman <laughs> combat gets surprisingly flashy. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. And but, that was actually one of the things some people complained about. They're like, Batman wouldn't fight like this. <laughs> but I mean, it, you're in this. You're Spider Man, so obviously, like, it's a lot more acrobatic too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, combat's great. Web swinging's great. The story in this game is phenomenal. And like, I saw a lot of people like when this when the game originally came out saying that. And I pro- I have to agree that it's of like, and some of this is from people who have like read a bunch of comics and stuff too, that this is probably their favorite Spider-Man story, mm. and like it it's like a completely original story. What I like is it picks up where like I think he's been Spider-Man at this point for like a decade, pretty much. Oh, wow. yeah. Like you're not like this is an established. Spider-Man, kind of, kind of like how the Arkham, like this is an established yeah. Batman. Well, I think you know when you're trying to tell an original story of one of these well-known superhero characters, just, just, just we know. Yeah, you don't, don't need, need to do another story again. Story. People are, uh, we, we've seen it enough. 
Um, yeah, unless you're gonna do something actually new and different, like uh, Into the Spider-Verse did with its mm-hmm. Miles Morales origin story, which was even like quite a bit different than what Miles Morales was in the comics. Like they really did their own kind of unique spin, not on not just on Spider-Man, but even on on Miles Morales. They they kind of well, that's a one like so like unless you're gonna do DLC something see for the this. Spider-Man was oh. the Mar- Mar- uh, Miles Morales stuff, yeah, right? It, yeah, it was a. Um, it was like a it, separate. It game, wasn't basically. full. It wasn't full price. It was. It was a reduced price. But basically, it's it and, and it's not as long. But it it's kind it's kind of like ODST to Halo Three, I'd say. Yeah, I think um, the idea but, there was like it was like standalone DLC. But the, the, the idea but, there was that they wanted a big game for the um, launch of the PS5, and that's what uh, like the big game was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, other and, than the Demon Souls and, and, it, it, and if you got uh, Miles Morales on PS5, you also got remastered free. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, like this game, it's uh, a bit in like Miles is introduced as a character and it starts setting him up too. And then like, obviously the follow-up is his standalone game. Um, but yeah, no, like it's just... Yeah, and I've seen a bit of Spider-Man 2, the, the new Spider-Man 2, and... It looks like they have they have both. Yeah, you, Peter you, you and do Miles get to play as both of them to, yeah. working together. Uh, but yeah, no, like this uh, this game's great. Uh, I love it. Just and playing the remaster. The only thing I'm not the biggest fan of on the remaster is for whatever reason they decided to change up how Peter looks. Right, I remember. You um, <laughs> I don't. I don't necessarily think it looks bad. Like. He looks like a cross between Tom Holland and Scott the Waz. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, like, I don't necessarily think it looks bad, but I think I like the old one better. Like, he didn't have the best facial model, but I think it looked good for, like, being, like, a Decade late, late 20s been Spider-Man for a decade. Right, so they, they gave him too much of a baby face. They gave him too much yeah, of a baby too face. Too much of a baby face. Yeah. Okay, just retcon <laughs> it like the Spider-Venom it keeps him, you know, his skin young and <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's like Peter Parker a decade into being Spider-Man, he should look tired. <laughs> um, like youth pastor Spider-Man. <laughs> Tobey Maguire. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Yeah, and, and there's, like, a variety of different costumes you can use in this game. Like, you've got, like, all the other movie costumes you can switch to. I There's one. There's only one costume you should use, though, and that's the Spider-Verse one. <laughs> Looks no, so cool. I want 1960s animated Spider-Man. <laughs> Actually, there is a cell-shaded suit that looks like, um... Like, it, it, that's made to look like original comic Spider-Man. And each, uh, not all suits, but, like, a lot of the ones you can unlock in-game, each have, like, a unique ability you can equip. Like, the default one, which is kind of what I've been playing with mostly, is um, when you activate it, it just generates focus meter, which the focus meter is what you can use to either heal or do, like, just a finisher. Um, So that's handy to just be able to generate some more. Uh, But one of them is just... For that... uh, for that like animated or like that comic looking one it's just quips you activate <laughs> and he just he just says a quip that's great that's fantastic <laughs> yeah uh not not to say that like he doesn't like 
there's obviously quips in there too like as you're just playing the game like it's it it's great but it's like more quips um oh man is it is there any quip as good as og spider-man 2 it's like hey shocker you've been reupholstered <laughs> that okay uh, that line's great that line's i i also love me. mysterio i think i had a bowl of mysterios for breakfast Spider-Man's got the best quips. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a total side note, but I still can't believe I fucking got got so hard on uh, Mysterio, MCU Mysterio. Uh, I to- it totally got me. I, I, I was like, he's a hero now? This is such a weird take on Mysterio. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. Okay. it just it, Is he going to be the villain like everyone expects? Or are they actually doing... I can't tell. <laughs> I know. It went on just long enough for me to be yeah. like, I guess he's the yeah. hero. Uh, I got Mysterio'd. But I, I, I do have to say this. I, I do really like Yuri Lowenthal as uh, Peter Parker. <laughs> Spider-Man. Like, I, I know you have trouble separating him from uh, Yosuke. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's weird. So, like, the little bits of, um, like, trailers and stuff that they showed for... Or not trailers, like the little bits of gameplay that they show for, like the interstitial nomination parts of the Game Awards. Like, he sounded a little bit less like Yuri Lowenthal in those to me for, than he did mm. in Marvel's Midnight Suns, which was weird. Oh, I don't know. God. So, uh, oh, and there's one different thing. voice direction. I don't know, man. <laughs> there is something this game does that I really like, and it's like I don't know if Peter's a bit of a masochist or something, but he's subscribed. To J. Jonah Jameson's podcast. So every so often when you're oh, swinging yeah. around, <laughs> just like a little episode of his podcast will start oh, playing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. That's great. Uh, but yeah, no, that that, that game's fantastic. Um, I also love I, I also love this switch. Just like mm-hmm. newspapers are dead. JJ's a podcast, like crazy I, podcast host now. It's perfect. Yeah. I mean, the Daily Bugle's still a thing in the game. MJ works for them, but like, I, I guess JJ was just forced out or something. I mean, like, JJ, like, JJ's character makes sense as a deranged podcast host. Yes. Right? Yeah, because the conspiracy yes. nuts. Yeah. Like, it, it totally matches the character. Uh, and, and, like, all every one of those, uh, those, uh, pod, little podcast clips that comes up is just gold. Um, like, there's one... Like, at one point in the game, there's, like, a little side quest for a character where you're chasing down his pigeons, and, and yeah, you're, sp- you're swinging after pigeons. And then, the, then later on, an episode of JJ's podcast will come up where he's just like, some spiders eat... Spider-Man has been seen chasing pigeons. Now, some species of spiders eat birds. <laughs> so, therefore, Spider-Man eats pigeons. <laughs> If P's and Q, perfect, perfect logic as far yeah. as I can see. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, yeah. But mo- moving on from that, like, though, I, I do think the game's fantastic. Um, but outside of that, I've also checked out a bit of the first DLC for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Mm-hmm. Bit of a tone change here. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't completed it, but. It's run. It, it's a smaller open area, and it runs wor- consistently worse. Yeah, like, good job. So wild to me. <laughs> um, like 
if there's so much as a blade of grass, you're encountering slowdown. Uh, it's not great uh, performance-wise. And there, I, encounter, I got to something last night. There's this mini-game um, where your objective is to collect... Uh, you, you're supposed to ride your ride Pokemon into these balloons, and when you pop the balloons, you get a berry. And then there's these points at the middle of the map where you deposit the berries. And you need a certain amount of each of the four types of berries. Um, but as soon as you start depositing any, some hungry Pokemon will start coming out, and they'll move over to uh, start eating those berries. So you got to be quick. And there's three difficulties. Easy is no problem. Normal, from what I've seen, is completable, but from the people who have completed it, just barely. Huh. Normal or hard is impossible solo. Oh wow! And you can do this mode in co-op, but unlike raids, there's no matchmaking, so you actually have to have three other people with the game in DLC. Oh boy! And apparently, even then, hard you need the four players wow like it's not a well-designed mode and if you complete hard you get shiny munchlax out of it but Damn. but it's like okay does everyone get it or is it only every, one every, player? everyone <laughs> all right because i was gonna say if only one player gets the <laughs> well, like the best person gets the everybody yeah. else gets a regular munchlax <laughs> but like if you're gonna have a mode like this it should at least like it should be completable in solo like, there's no does it, reason. Does it just not have difficulty scaling for the number of players at all? It does. Like, oh. the, the berry requirements are more in co-op, but the berry requirements in solo are still impossible. While the entire time you're also dealing with slowdown and the game running at a snail's pace, <laughs> your 90-second timer to do it is more than 90 seconds because of the slowdown, but wow. it's still impossible. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Not... That's rough. Yeah. And then I think the second, uh... The second part actually comes out this week, I think. So I'll be finishing up Teal Mask and then moving on to the, the second part. The Indigo, not Plateau. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, not, not very great impressions. I was intending on... Kind of just filling out this whole Pokedex, just like going around catching and evolving everything. But then with how s the slowdown was going, I was like, no, I'm just transferring everything I need to fill out the Pokedex from home and just filling out that Pokedex. So I just have to finish playing the story and catching the catch the uh, the new mythicals or legendaries or whatever. Yeah, those weirdos. I don't like I don't like how they look. Everyone looks yeah, okay. I mean... The rest don't look. <laughs> Look weird to me. The, the, the trio is a bunch of shitters. Yeah. <laughs> good, good to see Scarlet and Violet's continuing its uh, general failure. That... Oh, I hope they bring Monolith Soft on for the next one. Game well, on. I mean, supposedly then by that time, the next one should be on new hardware. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so that it can look worse? <laughs> I mean, look better, run the same. <laughs> uh, uh. Like I spent all their time, all their development time, like retexturing every Pokemon again. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's it for me. 
So, Alex, have you been playing uh, anything of note? Uh, yeah, there's a couple couple other games I've played that are new recently. Um, we'll start with the new, in quotes, game, uh, Risk of Rain Returns, which is a remake of Risk of Rain. And I, we've me and Santo have played it. I, I've played about two, oh, you three played hours. Of, yeah. Played a bit too. Okay. Did you play, play? You can't refund it. <laughs> yeah. That's how much I've played. Have you, have you played the uh, first game? The yes. Original? Yes. Yeah. I like. Bro- I actually prefer 2D Risk of Rain. Honestly. Okay. Broadly speaking, I would say that it's still the first. It's still Risk yeah. of Rain. Yeah. <laughs> and they've just brought in a few of the sort of new items as well as a couple of the mechanical changes from Risk of Rain 2 back into the first game. And it's pretty much all for the better as far as I'm concerned. The uh, way that the teleporter mechanics like work, like being able to leave just after the timer and boss is dead is a much better way of the game functioning compared to the first game. Where you had to make sure everything yeah, else you had in the to level kill was dead every, before you, you could go to the next level. You had to kill everything in the level that had spawned, which especially on large levels was just painful. Trying to hunt down something that spawned in like way back before you spawned. Yeah. <laughs> and you just ran away from. Yeah, and, and there's some levels where the enemies, like actually most levels, the enemies just can't make it to you anyway. So it's really annoying. Uh, so that's much better. The graphics are uh, slightly higher fidelity and I'd say it just it does make it easier to see what's happening, although the game still turns into a bit of a chaotic mess yeah. uh, at times. And uh, yeah, I'd also say broadly the difficulty curve, and maybe this is related to the te- teleporter mechanics being a bit better, but the difficulty curve feels a lot more, um, it feels a lot smoother to me. One of the things that I really found happened a lot with Risk of Rain is that I would often just die because I was overwhelmed and it felt like I never had a chance. Yeah. Or I would get to a point where I was completely overpowered and I destroyed everything and I beat the game like and like past like the third level I felt like there was very little challenge. So it was essentially like you were kind of just relying on good RNG and then once you got the good RNG the game became trivial. Uh, that's what I felt like happened a lot in in Risk of Rain. And now I feel like it's a lot smoother. It's a lot more like, oh yeah, you know, I just was too slow or uh, I just wasn't playing well or whatever. So I feel like the difficulty curve's been smoothed out in a way that benefits the game. Um, and there's more characters and, and whatnot. So I haven't unlocked everybody, but, uh, you know. It's it's it just feels like they learned a lot of the sort of lessons that they incorporated into Risk of Rain Two, which just brought them back. It's still the same game though, so and and they even added that little like that new challenge mode. Yeah, yeah, there's well. a challenge mode that's that's kind of cool. There's some cool challenges in there. There's like a uh, there's a lot of movement ones. There's some that are like you know, uh, sniper has like a tower defense not tower defense well you're defending a tower but it's like a sniping shooting gallery basically there's one that's actually just like a castlevania reference which one um i forget the name it's the guy who can have the whip where he's just going through like a stage that's kind of like it's kind of set up like a castlevania level because there's secrets hidden in the walls and you can just hit with your whip one of my favorites (laughs) is one where he plays a drone 
Oh, yeah. Oh, I hated that one. <laughs> oh, it's great. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. They're they're cool though. Yeah, I thought that that that's like a neat that's a neat little addition and then it gives you like an alternate way to unlock uh character abilities. There's usually an ability challenge or you can meet some other condition for most of the unlock uh weapon unlocks. So that's that's cool. That being said, I know Santo has complaints about the I've game. got paragraphs. <laughs> got paragraphs about it. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, you say, like, they incorporate a lot of lessons from Risk Rank 2 and incorporate them into the original game, but I think the core of the original Risk of Rain is just so poor, in my opinion, that, like, <laughs> it's the expression, like, you polish a turd, still a turd, in my opinion. Mm. Like, this reminds me a lot of the um, DS remake of the first Fire Emblem game, where they did a, a lot of things to make it more interesting. They introduced new mechanics, polished it up, gave it, you know, first time it's released in English and all that. But the this is like the main thing with the same with Risk of Rain Returns is that the map design was just so terrible in the first Fire Emblem game because it was the first one, and I think the maps in Returns still like are they're way too vertical for yeah. the amount of verticality that your characters can do. Like you can't you can barely jump, and it feels like. Some of the platform just feels very frustrating unless you get uh, like Hoppy Feather or whatever. Yeah. Well, and and this is, I think, I, I I agree with you actually. I think a lot of the levels are generally too vertical, and in particular, one of the challenges I think is that it feels like the levels are made more for like certain characters and certain builds. Totally. Yeah. Like, you know, especially if you get like. If you get like a god mode run and you loop, like the levels are fine. And in fact, they seem to be quite like well made for that. But that's sort of the problem is that the levels are essentially made to have a lot more traversal options once you've got a build going. But the problem is that you don't have a build going until you've already kind of had a chance to get to the last level and you've chosen to loop instead. Especially yeah. because there are so many items that and there's not that many like extra hubu feathers, the extra jump, or like the jetpack that reduces gravity and makes your jump able to clear larger gaps. Although there are some characters that have movement abilities that substantially open up opportunities. Yeah, that's the thing. Like some characters just felt really poor to play in this kind of like setting. Like I think Commando feels terrible. Commando. <laughs> like yeah. and, and as well, um, the fact that a lot of characters like they can pretty much only like kind of deal damage in the plane that they're in but there's like flying enemies and enemies that can literally like you know go through platforms like solid terrain to get to like the jellyfish that it makes it like just frustrating in my yeah. opinion yeah. like i don't have i don't have as much control over my character as i would want and that's something that they fix in risk of rain 2 by making it you know three dimensions <laughs> yeah and having a you know third person free aim yeah on any and you could totally have just you know directional free aim in risk of rain but the problem with that is that it would change the game so much that it really would be unrecognizable and maybe they should have done that i don't know like maybe they should have said okay we're not just gonna remake this game we're gonna, you know, make it free aim and and redesign all the levels because the levels wouldn't work at all. The levels are very similar. They're, in many cases, almost the same as the first game, which again 
it's fine, but it's, yeah, it's very much a choice to do a remake rather than to incrementally make a big change. Because I kind of agree, like maybe the, maybe free aim in any direction you want would have been nice. What I will say is that there's some characters where it doesn't matter. I especially really like the pilot, who is a new character to Risk of Rain Returns, and the pilot has a, an ability where he can kind of fire up at a 45 degree angle-ish. It seems like it kind of tracks enemies a little bit too. So if there's just generally, if there's generally a, a, an enemy in your sort of fire cone, then it basically seems to just hit. Which I really like that character as well because it's got additional option, sort of targeting options, and it also has an additional movement option where you can kind of like jump up and float down, which I like a lot. And it also, you can shoot downwards at yeah. enemies on the ground. So you really like the character that all of their mechanics goes completely against the mechanics of this game. I know. Because <laughs> yeah. they're a new character, so they're yeah. able to do that. Yeah, like, I mean, what I, I didn't like the first game when we tried playing it. I thought maybe part of that was that the only time I ever played the first game was uh, Couch Co-op, which is a terrible way to play that game. It, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, say what you will, if you like the game or not, that's a terrible way to play it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the way that the camera works, it really makes Couch Co-op a struggle. Yeah. So, like, you know, I, I, gave, I gave this a shot. I didn't really like it. That's fine. But honestly, my biggest problem with this game isn't the game itself. It's, like, a lot of the stuff around it. Uh, to do with like the risk of rain IP that they're doing because like they're really treating risk of rain like the franchise as something like incredibly special like the 10 year anniversary documentary and like uh, a bunch of other stuff as just like okay this game this franchise has two games in it <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay like I, I like because gearbox acquired the IP and the the um, impression I get is that they really want to expand it into like something bigger but they haven't put in the legwork to do that yet like if you want to come to me at like 15 year anniversary when they've released like you know their mobile game say what, whatever you will about that and like you know another DLC for Risk of Rain 2 and Risk of Rain Returns and like maybe maybe something else on the horizon sure maybe but like to act like this is a like series with like a bunch of reverence is a bit off to me yeah yeah and like it, it's just like you can't be doing that with Gearbox. I think have been terrible stewards of the IP as well. Like the funniest thing happened. Like if you go to the Risk of Rain two Steam page right now, it will say like, "Hey, nominate us for a Steam award." And the one that they chose for people to nominate is um, uh, the Labor of Love Award, which is for like ongoing support for games. The last update to Risk of Rain two was in uh, June of twenty twenty two. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, they did. They did a patch, like a month ago, as like sort of a pseudo announcement for like the new DLC. And the patch notes was just a bunch of rain emojis, uh, and all that patch seemed to do was reset my settings. It didn't fix any of the oh. bugs. It didn't fix any of the bugs in the game. That there are bugs in the game that the last patch notes they did in June 2022 said here are known issues that will be fixed in the in a patch upcoming in the next week or so. That patch never came. Mm. So, yeah. like, and like, Risk of Rain 1 never got proper multiplayer. It still had that awful, like, connect via IP shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Didn't get proper out. multiplayer until they re released the game. So, yeah, because we tried to play uh, 
original Risk of Rain in the lead up to Risk of Rain Returns being launched just just to just for kicks and yeah it was it was a bad experience because of the we had to do direct IP connection and we had to port forward and all this all this garbage yeah and I'm like yeah okay yeah this is this is what I would have been doing 15 years ago sure <laughs> 10 years ago but whatever but so it's like no 10 years ago it was already a bad system that's true like, <laughs> so it's like okay well any so gearbox i don't think has been great stewards of the ip i don't think hapu really like they haven't done enough work to the game ongoing i think hapu really took, well i from what i understand hapu took a big bag of cash and basically has pieced out but even then, like, they took that big bag of cash, like, a lot later. Like, the fact that Risk of Rain 1 never got a proper multiplayer, yeah. this is kind of weird, so, kind of wild to me. So Hopper's not working on 2 anymore? Is it Gearbox I'm a, okay. doing all the work? Now? I'm a little unclear on it, and yeah. I think that that is the way that Gearbox wants it to be. Because it is it is very unclear exactly who has been doing the work. Yeah. And um, from what I understand, Gearbox, Gearbox did the development on the new stages from the last DLC as well as the new Emmys. Like it seems like they're they are like yeah. doing the develop the continued development on Risk of Rain two. Um, but Hapu is maybe like, I think maybe like Hapu is the one that did Risk of Rain Returns or something like that. It's it's a weird like split where yeah. technically like Gearbox owns the IP and the development. It's uh, responsibility of, for it, yeah. Risk of Rain 2, Basically, but then other Risk of Rain stuff is mm. Hapu, but then they outsourced, I'm pretty sure they're outsourcing their mobile game they're making to a completely different studio yeah, it too. Looked, it looked like so it, So yeah. it's really unclear. It kind of it seems like what happened to me is essentially the Gearbox was, the was was like Hapu made Risk of Rain 2, Gearbox published it. The game like way, way exceeded expectations in terms of sales numbers. And then Gearbox was like, oh, wait, this thing's blowing up. And then negotiated to buy the IP, and then is and then Hopu has slowly been transferring development responsibility to Gearbox. The uh, DLC seems to have been kind of a, a partnership where Hopu and Gearbox worked on the DLC, and then it seems like going forward, the next DLC is just Gearbox. That's what it seems like. That's, but again, yeah. uh, it's been a while since i've actually but properly read the uh they're being that they made but well the sale. And, and they're intentionally being a bit cagey about it because i think in general the community does not trust gearbox to do a good job with with risk of rain yeah and like a lot of the um it honestly they're um, like forward facing to the people is hapu but they're not even the publishers of the game anymore so it, it's like it's weird yeah it almost seemed like a weird form of like pr damage control because i I don't know. I don't know how like the internet has responded, but like making a mobile gotcha-ish game, I'm already like, it's dead. <laughs> yeah, that's the most that's the most uh, established developer move. <laughs> yeah, like spinoff that is in money making formula. Like I'm 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 definitely gonna buy risk of rain 2 dlc just because i love risk of rain 2 and yes, i it's i even just like so so good yeah even just like a couple more stages maybe a character or two i'm sure that'll like just if anything just add more stuff to make runs more variant add variants to runs and add some interest and things like that but i'm not i'm not expecting for there to be another great game in the series at this point from Gearbox. I, I probably won't even buy the next DLC. I 
I put 40 hours into Risk Rain 2, which is not an insignificant amount of time, but it just never hooked me. Uh, and that's I've, wild. <laughs> and I actually get this, like, for a lot of roguelikes. The genre just, there's very few games in the genre that actually end up hooking me. I'm, I'm the same, it's like we're, we're the same but opposite, where like I'm the same way, but the only one that's really hooked me is Risk of Rain 2, whereas for you it's Risk of Rain 1. <laughs> well, even then, I wouldn't even say Risk of Rain 1's really hooked me. Um, I, the only two I can, uh, roguelikes I can really think of that have hooked me are Hades and Cult of the Lamb. <laughs> yeah, for me it's Risk of Rain 2 and FTL. That's like, like that's it. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I'd say, yeah, FTL as well, and... Twenty minutes till dawn, just because of how. Here's the thing, but here's the thing. I don't, know, risk I don't, know if I, I, don't I don't think I would call twenty that's minutes a, no. a roguelike. Yeah, I call it like a run-based game. Like okay. enough. Like I mean, the roguelike is such a hilariously yeah. stretched definition, anyways. But you, I don't think you could. <laughs> so much of the like original. Uh, I I would I would say that aspects 20, of rogue are not 20, twenty minutes is more like a well-tuned twin stick shooter than anything else. To yeah. me. It's just that say, twin yeah. stick shooter is not like a genre that people talk about anymore. Yeah, because those like only really existed all that often in like arcades and stuff like that. Like yeah. I wouldn't call Geometry Wars a roguelike. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think I think like the, the thing... twin stick shooter with ro- with roguelike elements. Sure. <laughs> I think the thing for me about Risk of Rain Two is just like like even Risk of Rain uh, One is like. Here's, I'm always willing to give roguelikes a chance to just like maybe they will hook me but like the big thing with Risk of Rain is like you can have runs going on for like 40 minutes an hour and then die and then I just feel like my time was wasted yeah that's the main reason why I don't like them like at least for Cult of the Lamb like even if I didn't finish the run I was on like I've still returned to s- I've still returned with something to like manage my cult and improve it. Like I like the cult management is what drove me with that. And like with Hades, like there's always at the very least there's always some new dialogue. And even after hanging the clearing the game ten times and hanging the credits, like there's still story threads for me to wrap up, and that keeps me coming back to Hades. Yeah. One thing I will say I was surprised to not see in Risk of Rain Returns was Eclipse Mode because Eclipse Mode has added so much, like, playtime to Risk of Rain yeah, 2. Yeah, so much, like, it single-handedly, like, extended the long- longevity of that game in a crazy way. Yeah, because, like, that's the thing is, like, the game, I, I think the game loop in Risk of Rain 2 is, like, extremely well-tuned, but once you've unlocked all the characters, and you've unlocked all the items, and you've, un- and you've like, unlocked all the weapons, you kind of, like, don't have any more meta progression, except Eclipse Mode. And Eclipse Mode... If you want to beat it with every character uh, all the way up to level 8, it's... It's so many runs. It's so many runs. Like, already, that's 8 runs per character if you if you get it in one, in, like, completed in one. <laughs> yeah, like, ex- like, uh, yeah, except <laughs> also, you know, the Eclipse mode is only available on the hardest difficulty. And to be honest, you basically have to get good RNG or be absolutely, like... In, uh, incredibly skilled at the game, which you're only going to be able to get that skill by playing the game a shitload anyway. So, mm-hmm. like, we have hundreds of hours, me and Santo. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like, mine's sitting at like 350 hours in Risk of Rain 2 or something. 
Ultimately, I wouldn't say I dislike the game. I just don't find anything pulling me back to it. Yeah, well, and like, that's fair. And I think, like you said, you have like 40 hours, 50 hours in the game. Yeah. That's It's not an insignificant that's amount. That's still a lot. Yeah. Like, I don't hit that in most games. I only hit that in games that I really enjoy. I, it, and it's always funny when people are like, I spent 200 hours in this game. This game sucks. I'm like, really? <laughs> oh, I could do an episode of Destiny 2. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, anyway, yeah, Risk of Rain Returns. I mean, I think that for anyone who liked Risk of Rain, the game is basically strictly better. Um, but it's definitely a bit of a older style of 2D platforming shooter in the first place. And that may frustrate some players. Yeah. Um, moving on, another game I've played recently is Hard Space Shipbreaker. And uh, this game is I think its release date's a little weird because it was in early access for a while. Mm. But uh, I think it's a really cool game. And it's by Blackbird Interactive. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, for viewers who aren't aware, Blackbird Interactive... Viewers. It, <laughs> listeners. Listeners. <laughs> whatever you're... Oh, they could be watching the YouTube version. Uh, watching the waveform. Content consumers. Because <laughs> that sounds appealing, right? Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, for those unaware, uh, Blackbird Interactive is essentially the core developers from Relic Entertainment that made the original Homeworld and later Homeworld 2. And then they left because Relic got bought out, I think, and kind of like still exists, but doesn't. it's not really the same company anymore. But Blackbird Interactive is um, kind of those, those that, that original team that made the Homeworld games. And I love Homeworld, but... I also really just love the aesthetic, the space aesthetic that they had there in those games. And I'm excited for Homeworld 3 when it eventually comes out. It's funny. It was supposed to come out this year, but it's been pushed back. That's okay. I'm still looking forward to it. And I'd, I'd rather that game get delayed. I've been... <laughs> it's been so long since Homeworld 2. It's like, yeah. what's another year? <laughs> like the percentage of how long it's been since the last Homeworld is barely going to move with this delay. It's not. It can yeah. be your anticipated game for the year for, for our GUIs two years in a row. It can hey, be. There we it go. can be. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but uh, this is not a strategy game at all. Um, it is essentially the idea is that you are salvaging ships and the sort of the plot to the extent there is one is essentially so the game has one of the funniest uh openings that i've ever seen it essentially walks you through a, a bunch of fake legalese and like basically you are basically signing away everything like you are essentially indenturing yourself into like slavery and the property uh, of the corporation yeah yeah, the very first thing that happens after you sign the documentation is essentially that you're murdered because uh, there's sort of like in-game explanation for what happens when you die is that uh, you are cloned and then your clone continues your job. Anyway, you are like quintillions of credits in debt now. Oh, Great. And your job is to salvage ships and all of the salvage you get pays down your debt. The debt is comically large <laughs> and, you know, probably a lot of players of the game will never actually pay, pay off the debt. Um, so 
Uh, there is a bit of a story and, and, and some stuff around that. But so the bulk, the meat and potatoes of the game is that uh, you have these sort of like timed shifts and your goal is to salvage as much of a ship as you can in the shift. And the way that works is that you're moving, you're in a spacesuit and you're moving around in 3D and you have sort of like a, sort of like a gravity gun almost. Like uh, you can um, just pick up pieces of the ship and, and if they're small enough, you can move them around and you can kind of throw them around and stuff like that. You can attach them to each other. And some pieces get incinerated because they're metal. Some pieces get processed because they're made of like, you know, I don't know, I can't remember. It's like silicone or whatever their whatever they're sort of non-metal uh, ship bulkhead pieces and then other pieces uh get salvaged as a unit so they get put on a barge so that's things like light fixtures and like computers and things like that and essentially it's kind of like you have to disassemble the ship without destroying it into its constituent mm. parts and so there's like you know metal bulkheads you know carbon fiber bulk nanocarbon that's what they call them nanocarbon bulkheads and there's all these like you know devices and the game just slowly, like the very, so there's different ships. When you start out, the ship is essentially just like metal and nanocarbon. And you uh, can, you can, you have a laser. And this is one of those things where it's like, kind of like, you know, uh, the sh parts of the ship are fully destructible. And you just like, your laser can just like cut arbitrary okay. just lines. Because I was going to ask, are you like actually having like plasma cutter and just yeah. like, cut out the pieces yeah, and everything so you got a okay. laser so you got a laser cutter and you like cut pieces apart problem is that when you cut a piece apart you actually destroy some of the value of that piece because you just cut it and so some of the material gets evaporated but there are certain sections of the ship that are cut points that don't have any value so if you want you can go very slow and methodically and get nearly a hundred percent of the value of the ship salvaged but it will take you a long time or you can just YOLO like a madman, <laughs> laze everything, and like destroy, and like you know half destroy the ship and half salvage it really quickly. Uh, and then the game slowly introduces like new subsystems and new new parts that have more value, but they have hazards. So there's like coolant that can freeze you, and 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 this is where um, the game reminds me a little bit of Outer Wilds in that there are many ways to die in space. <laughs> you can freeze yourself to death, you can, uh, you can burn to death, you can, uh, so your, your, um, your gravity gun thing that throws around massive ship parts, uh, if you're not careful, uh, you just impale yourself and <laughs> your, your helmet breaks and you die to the vacuum of space. Although if you manage to reach the uh, terminal where you buy oxygen, buy oxygen oh, of course if you oh. want fuel if you want oxygen you have to pay for it and it goes onto your debt nothing is free <laughs> um so you have to uh if you make it back there you can patch your suit but there's a lot of just hazards that that um that happen that 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 are in the ship that can kill you and so there's it, it's it's cool so it's it's essentially it's kind of like a it's kind of like a, a puzzle game where you're trying to just 
maximize the amount of value that you can salvage by disassembling the ship in the shortest amount of time in the shortest amount of time and uh it's 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 cool and then different shipped pieces you know so there's like airlocks and you like you know uh open the airlock and you can like depressurize parts of the ship or you could just get your uh c4 blow open the ship <laughs> and explosively decompress everything <laughs> And uh, a whole bunch of stuff will rapidly fall out of the ship and you can get thrown around and, and you can get like, you can just, if explosive decompression happens and you are in a uh, unfortunate location, you'll just get thrown against a wall and die. Yeah. Um, so, and there's like, you know, there's electric hazards, you can get electrocuted. There's like radiation, there's like nuclear reactors that power ships later on and, um, certain more elaborate components like the aforementioned nuclear reactor some of the larger ones there's like a sequence of disassembling pieces so that it doesn't explode or you can just blow open the you can blow everything open and if you salvage it fast enough it doesn't matter that you didn't deactivate it with the shutdown sequence mm -hmm. so it's got a lot of like cool sort of um it's got a lot of it's got a lot of cool things you can do with just just playing that like risk versus reward like kind of can I can I max can I can I max how do I maximize the value I get from this ship and it supports just you can go about that different ways you know you can just destroy half the ship in the process and or you can go really slow so it's this, it's cool this sounds right up my alley you've piqued my interest <laughs> yeah so, I, I have to ask. Every time you get cloned when you die, does it add to your debt? Yes. <laughs> nice. Yes, they charge you. They charge you quite. They they at the end of every shift, it gives you uh, basically a a bill. A full it, breakdown. It gives you a breakdown of here's all the stuff you salvaged and how much you gained from it, and here's all the stuff that like you used and costs you money. How much air you use? <laughs> here's your air. Here's your air bill. And yeah, if you if you get. If you if you have to get cloned during a shift, you uh, that, that that that's a, that's a substantial bill, and also actually dying's really rough too because um, just of the timing, because then you have to like go back into the ship where you were, mm -hmm. and and pick up where you left off, and that's a pretty serious, uh, pretty serious hit to your productivity. <laughs> oh, is the cloning like pretty immediate? Yeah. Okay. It just it it, it puts you through a, a short screen. It's funny, actually. Every time you get cloned, the cloning procedure is activated with CMake. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> For you programmers out there. Um, in the far future, we're still using CMake. Oh, of course. Why would anybody change? Um, so yeah, it's, it's a cool game. I mean, I think that, you know, at some point, once you've unlocked kind of all the hazards, then and you because there's different hazards and then there's different ships so once you've kind of like unlocked all the ships and you've unlocked all the hazards obviously it's going to be somewhat samey in a sense but you know it's like the point is sort of like to just get better at at optimizing your runs you can't especially once you have all the hazards i don't know if you can actually salvage a whole ship in one uh shift the shifts last 15 minutes each and that's like a day, in-game day. Um, and there's some meta progression with the story, and you're like stealing parts to make your own ship. And I, I haven't completed that part yet, but uh, I'm not 
So I don't know how, I don't know what happens when you uh, steal enough parts to complete your own personal ship, which is just like a small thing. <laughs> um, uh, I hope you kind of just wake up as another clone and just take over. Just the cl another clone just takes over. Yeah, that <laughs> that clone's gone, but another one's still working. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, no, it, it's really cool, and I think that um, it's it's kind of it's one of those games. I think you probably have to have the right mindset to enjoy it because it's very much like like it's it's basically a puzzle game. It's basically a puzzle game with a with aggressive like with aggressive mechanics that make you feel like you need to keep like going quickly um but you don't actually have to which i think i like a lot like you could take as many days to finish your to finish salvaging a ship as you want um it's just that you know the game's just like this cost you this this you didn't like make enough money this shift so <laughs> you're not doing very well um want to know what it feels like to be under the con the time constraints of a Starfleet engineer. Yeah, <laughs> play this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the the game basically like it makes you feel like you need to go fast, but doesn't actually force you to, which I actually think is a good balance for sort of like the, a timed kind of puzzle optimizer like this. And then um, so there's that aspect, and then there's also just that fact that like you know you are in a zero g full three D environment and you know, you have sort of like inertial controls. Um, it's, I, I feel like some people probably just do not want to play a game with controls like that. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm sitting right here. Alex. You're sitting you just right sit here. here. <laughs> yeah, but it's like kind of like with uh, like I, I I compared it a little bit to Outer Wilds, which also has sort of some like you know zero G kind of three D environment traversal, and I think either you like operating a sort of weird jetpack thing with controls like that or you don't and uh it's it's definitely something i i like it i think it's cool i very frequently find myself confused about which way is up and <laughs> like i'm just like man where is the i'm like where's the barge i'm like i'm trying to throw this i'm trying to throw this nuclear reactor out of a ship before it explodes and i'm like which direction am I going? <laughs> no, uh, okay, I'm definitely going to keep an eye on the, yeah. the, the, then, the Steam Winter Cells coming up soon. So. Yeah, and then, yeah, like, and then, you know, it's fun kind of like the first time a nuclear reactor blew up on me and then, you know, I got cloned and, and then I went back and I'm like, it doesn't, it didn't completely like destroy the whole ship, which I was, I was kind of surprised. I was expecting maybe a bit more destruction, but it's also just like, it sort of, it's, it was sort of fun in a way because like trying to salvage a ship after a massive explosion, it's a complete mess. It's extremely difficult to really get any value out of a ship after a large explosion. Because there's a lot of the paneling, um, like your laser only cuts certain materials, but large explosions damage everything. And there's just like small debris all over the place. It's hard to even like... Um, it's hard to even pick up the right thing. Like you'll try to pick up a piece of like uh, bulkhead and instead it's like, oh, there's just like shrapnel everywhere floating in space. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't get anything. And so it's like, it's kind of fun in a way in like, oh man, like I really screwed this one up and now 
<laughs> it's so hard to make it work. And then you're just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm abandoning. I'm, I abandoned this this pile of garbage, and I'm gonna disassemble a new ship. <laughs> so it's it's very it's very fun. It's a very unique concept. Like I can't say like it's 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 just. It doesn't really cleanly fit into any particular genre. Like it's a first person, first person like three D space ship disassembly game. Yeah, like <laughs> it's messed up that the game when you're describing it that it makes me think the most of is Papers Please, <laughs> because yeah. it's like a time based thing where you need to try try to make more money than your ongoing costs go. And if you like rush things, you get penalized by either like blowing up or papers, please getting fined for like people through that shouldn't. Yeah. Like that. Or you can go slow, but then maybe you don't make enough. Like it's like, it's weird that that's like kind of the same concept in two wildly different settings. Yeah. And, play, and like, you know, controls. Yeah. And so, okay, so it's funny because like on the one hand, the game really has this sort of like oppressive corporate slave sort of thing going on. But at the same game, at the same time, it's sort of like, just like chill, just, um, just chill floating through a spaceship, like disassembling pieces and just like, it's, it's got this weird thing going on. It, a few other games I feel like do this too, but it's, it's got this weird kind of like, zen relaxation thing at the same time as this just like oppressive corporatocracy oh great that says bad things <laughs> it's, it's not the first time i've like seen a game with that concept where you're buying your way out of a, a huge debt like that like i think there's a vita game that yeah, i've also played animal crossing <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> there's a there's a Vita game that uh, the name of it escapes me right now, but it's basically a Monster Hunter like, and you're basically hunting stuff to reduce your ridiculous prison sentence. Yeah, I haven't I haven't spent much time looking at like um, so. There's also leaderboards, and I think there's there's like some stuff where you know obviously just like competing to just like get the most value in the minimum time like as a as a on the leaderboards that's something that that's a very corporate way to uh yeah to uh but uh i haven't spent time looking into like any youtube videos about like people that are actually good at the game just like going crazy fast but i can imagine it would be uh kind of interesting to watch some of the like i guess speed runs in a sense of the of the game see how see how people go about breaking down the ships exactly yeah because like it's definitely the sort of thing where i could see i could see some absolute bullshit being being pulled yeah like you boot up a speed run and they're like constantly like inert like putting their like you know thrust like where they're constantly going like backwards or something weird like that, like bunny hopping in Half Life. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see that that kind of stuff where it's like very strange movement, but in like three D space yeah. with inertia. With inertia. Yeah. Well, I'm also just thinking like you know I could I, I I could just imagine like I could imagine like somebody doing like a really complicated kind of kind of like really silly ship disassembly where maybe they like set up a bunch of tethers that pull stuff um, to the recycler areas and barge areas and they just like set a bunch of stuff up set a bunch of charges l blow blow the whole ship and the ship just all like <laughs> just 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 magically goes into the all the pieces magically go into the right spots yeah 
directed explosions. Like a, a trick breaking pool where just yeah. uh, all the balls go into the pockets. <laughs> yeah, like that, <laughs> except it's a ship exploding and then getting recycled. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, it's a really cool game and I, I, I like I just love to see those sort of like just unique concepts where it's not it's it's not like any other game that I have played. And you don't see that very much. Also, the game just like looks really cool. Like the uh, the ships are that like just like I, I don't know. There's a Homeworld is not the only. There's actually a particular sci-fi artist that I think uh, I can't remember his name, but the sort of aesthetic of the Homeworld ships. This is very much uh, like they probably, if they weren't like restricted for IP reasons would have branded it as in the homeworld universe because it very much like look the ships very much look like they belong in a homeworld game and that's a really cool um like ship aesthetic so sort of angular kind of industrially angular industrial ships so i don't know yeah really, really cool game very unique concept uh, definitely a niche concept i think but it's cool to see people do yeah, like really that. novel kind of games. Yeah, it sounds like a really cool game that doesn't sound appealing to me at all. Yeah, <laughs> but that's yeah, that sounds that sounds really awesome. I guess that's all all we've been playing. Um, did want to go over the game awards a little bit because you know that's a, the biggest thing that happens yearly yeah. in gaming. The, this pretty podcast much. Is, has been going longer than uh, this year's Call of Duty campaign. Oh, that was <laughs> such a fucking <laughs> sick line. That was such a sick line. <laughs> Uh, um, so me and Matt watched uh, it. Uh, Alex, did you catch any I, of it at all? Not. I've seen a few highlights. That's about it. Yeah. Um, I actually missed the first like fifteen minutes of it because I got, I got time zoned. I thought it was starting later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so like I missed the first. Well, I missed the first fifteen minutes of what seemed like some sort of like pre-show kind of thing because they kept saying like, "Oh, the game awards starts in this yeah, they, time," they, but like. They do a half-hour pre-show, yet they still present some awards during that time. Yeah, it's I just like it—it's basically it's okay, not a pre-show. Half an hour till Jeff takes the stage. Exactly, it's like <laughs> okay, they're still announcing game, games and announcing awards. Yeah, they're, during they're doing time. some like minor announcements. Like they did all the esports announcements yeah, in the in yeah. the quote-unquote pre-show. It's like oh, yeah, whatever. Um, but uh, as far as what was announced, um. It, it was very interesting to me that most of what was announced is new IP. <laughs> like, a lot of stuff felt like it was new, but at the same time, that made me, like, not that hype about any particular announcement. It's like, okay, there's, you know, a 30-second trailer of a game that has a title that I've never heard of before. So, it's like... Maybe I'll be excited for these games. I've seen more of them, but it felt like a very like low key game awards in terms of announcements because of that. I think. Yeah, um, I mean, like, there's only a couple of things that, like without a list in front of me of what was announced. Like, there's only a couple things I can think of off the top of my head that are existing franchises that got a reveal, like Monster Hunter, Hellblade. Uh, well, this is this wasn't even the first reveal for Hellblade. It wasn't. It had a big trailer last year too. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, do you, okay. Do you think that so the GTA Six trailer, like people were saying that that leaked. Did you think was um, like that maybe supposed to be here or something? No, it leaked like 
the day before it was supposed to come out. It oh, wasn't. Okay. It was. They had a scheduled date for it before. GTA the game is so awards. big they don't even need the game awards to announce yeah. the game. <laughs> um, although that trailer, is, I, I've got my gripes with Rockstar and their game design. I love the storytelling in the games. I'm not really hyped for it, but. Oh man, there's so much Florida man shit going on in that trailer. Oh I got it. It's an extremely <laughs> Florida trailer. It it feels like the most unrealistic GTA trailer, but because it's in Florida, it feels the most realistic. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, just I just want just just like Gator driving like Lambo down the street, like on that Art Deco. Art Deco and Neon. I'm just like, I mean, that wasn't in the trailer, but I'm like, <laughs> that 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 could be. <laughs> I, I, so that far, could be though, GTA Six. <laughs> I think the biggest problem with Six, though, is that it's not in the '80s. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that would have been nice to go back to like a Vice City kind of thing. Although apparently, this one is actually just the entire state, not just like. Miami, Vice City, and the surrounding areas. This one's like actually the entire state, apparently. All right. <laughs> See, we got conflicting things where, like, you know, GTA, they went from, like, you know, one city to kind of having, like, multiple, like, big areas and you can go to. Now they're doing an entire state. Whereas um, Hello Games, Nomad Sky, they made an entire universe, but now they only want to make Earth. They're scaling back. <laughs> They're scaling back, but still over-promising. Yeah, they still say that it's more ambitious than Nomad's Guy, which is impossible. Uh, <laughs> dude needs to learn how to do a presentation. Like, <laughs> like the earnest indie game developer only goes so far <laughs> when it's like, okay, what you're talking about is completely unrealistic. I don't believe you anymore. Uh, yeah, I... I so all this new IP being announced was kind of interesting because like every game of the year nominee and a lot of the nominees for all most of the categories were either sequels or you know RE4 remake. So it's like it's interesting that maybe like we're now gonna finally get into the cycle that was supposed to happen earlier when the new consoles came out where like people are making new things for these new consoles. Mm -hmm. Like I I wonder like how many of the like game of the year nominees are like also on ps4 and whatever or like older consoles like i mean you had tears of the kingdom and mario wonder which is for the switch which is like well whatever that's nintendo's got their own thing going yeah um <laughs> like uh re4 remake was that for ps4 as well uh like I Baldur's gate know. i don't know i don't know like I don't, I don't actually know if these were or not, but I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if any of them were. I mean, GTA Five was for PS3, so GTA Six is going to be for PS4, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the only other thing that I want to talk about is, A, wow, Baldur's Gate 3 won a lot of awards. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I've heard basically nothing but good things about it. Yeah, they won... Like, they, they, they did, like, a... Like a series of like, I think it was like three or four awards, like right before like the game of the year, and it was just like Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate three, Baldur's Gate three, Baldur's Gate three, and like, oh, I, I, I've never even been interested in those like games, and now I'm like, oh man, maybe I should play Baldur's Gate three. Well, it's been an extremely long time since Baldur's Gate two. <laughs> yeah, and then like the Dark Alliance games were different; those were Diablo clones. When Baldur's Gate three 
one best RPG and that's the only Starfield nomination and you can just see the pain in Todd Howard's eyes. <laughs> uh, whatever he he got an individual shout out during the, during hey, the uh, like everyone awards. knows everyone knows Starfield needs like four years of mod development before it's the best game ever. <laughs> yep. <laughs> even 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 people who are like hardcore like Bethesda fanboys are like wait for the mods, bro. <laughs> Or they're already just like, the game's a lot better. You just got to use this mod pack that installs like 50 mods to like fix the UI, fix the missions, fix, every, fix the bugs. And uh, the only other like award that I think merits any mention here is uh, what won uh, Best Independent Game, uh, which was Sea of Stars, <laughs> which yeah. we kind of went off on a previous we, podcast. We went off on. Yeah. 91 Metacritic. I, Which is extremely high. It's one of the, like the highest rated games of this year. Yeah, I don't understand. I just like I I think I mentioned this when we were talking about it too. Where I'm just like, some of the biggest problems with that game are that it's too easy, and I still see people complaining that it's hard. And I'm like, this is one of the easiest RPGs I've ever played. It is clearly meant f like. I can only assume it's it was designed for like people that have not played a lot of RPGs. I don't get it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like yeah, okay, and 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 again, like we talked about this aesthetically, it, it, it's on point. Like it it looks great, it sounds great, the story's good. It's not bad. Serviceable. It's not. It's serviceable. Yeah, like it's it's competent. Um, but the core, like the core of like the battle system, is just like kind of undercooked. And I and the 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 difficulty is just it's just too easy of a game and I'm just like they should have spent more time cooking the battle system instead of cooking the cooking min <laughs> mini game. No, that's the problem. Even the cooking systems like like the cooking system is just sort of sort of like not integrated well. You had a warrior cook that doesn't cook in battle. He doesn't use there's no status effect. Yeah, there's no yeah. status effect meals. It's the most obvious thing, like yeah, I'm going to cook this thing that produces status effects. It's not a thing. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah, were, were there any uh, games announced that you guys are looking forward to? Uh, I'm looking forward to... Like, well, Sega had this thing where they're, uh, they, they teased it beforehand. They sent out like a card to some developers that said New Era, New Energy. And people were speculating what it could be. And like they announced like new games of like five of their series but like i'm looking for forward to the end more underneath because kind of want to see a new virtual fighter oh yeah i'm, I'm hoping that's kind of what included in the end more that, that announcement is also funny because one of the things that they announced like new, new games in development was crazy taxi i'm like oh how do you make a crazy taxi game in 2023 that's that was like one of the last like arcade games <laughs> that like worked <laughs> I know a lot of people will be happy about new um, uh, Jet, Set Radio. Jet Set Radio. Oh yeah, uh, I'm, whatever. I'm looking forward to. I'm, I don't want to play that game. I'm gonna listen to that soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that is assuming they get a Hideki Naganuma for it. Hopefully. Uh, but uh, one one thing I, it's not a game, but something I didn't want to talk about was uh, like they had that whole bit at the beginning uh, with a. Uh, Christopher Judge joking about, like, 
his speech and just like yeah. them playing the music like pretty much right away to just like get him off stage as a joke um in actuality though like they really didn't give people much time for their speeches they were they were starting to play them off very pretty, very quickly like yeah like you can at least give them like two three minutes like 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 yeah, Christopher Judge's like nine minute speech. Yeah, that was a little excessive. But yeah, but like, people, like like it felt like um like after they've been talking for like maybe like forty five seconds, not even a minute. Like music yeah. starts playing, and it's like okay, some of these people are like you know doing like pretty passionate speeches here. Like give them time. Yeah. I like I understand. But, I understand the show was really long, <laughs> but uh, like if this yeah. is this is like the like there's there's other like game awards like the Dice Awards and stuff like that, but I don't. Are any of them really broadcast all that much? Like the Golden Joystick that, Awards, the only are. one I can think of. So, like, if you know, if you're gonna, you know, have this big awards ceremony where you're celebrating games and you have like all the like heads of the studio and stuff in the audience and they come up there to accept the award, let them talk. Yeah, like uh, um, I, I forget his name right now, but. Uh... Uh, best performance uh, the guy who plays Asterion in Baldur's Gate 3 mm-hmm. like uh, he got he was getting cut off there pre- like it felt like pretty quickly and like he didn't even get time because like he had to start I, rushing yeah and like he didn't even get to because I think part of like if he won part of what he was going to say up there was like oh, it's available on Xbox now as well oh really so but he didn't get to that like, nah, I'm okay with that being but, cut. <laughs> that not, oh no, yeah, but still. But, but even after the fact, Jeff Keighley was saying, okay, yeah, maybe it was a little too soon. Um, so maybe next year there'll be a little more leniency for speech lengths. Yeah. <laughs> it's all Christopher Judge's fault. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like the only... It's weird. The only game that I'm like kind of looking forward to is... One that was announced while I wasn't even watching the damn Game Awards, which is like, apparently they're making like an Arknights action game, which unfortunately looks like it'll still be a gotcha game, so mm. I probably won't be, I'll probably not like it because of that, like, it's, it's weird, like, okay, you're making this thing based off a of gotcha IP, and I wish it wasn't a gotcha game. <laughs> <laughs> as tolerant as I am of them, it's just like, it, that mechanic only works for a very, a very limited subset of uh, gameplay styles. Like tower defense, when you have like you know twelve different like twelve people that you can bring every mission, that makes complete sense that you're collecting and building these giant teams of characters. But like an an action game where you're controlling one character, I'm not sure how yeah. that really is going to work all that well. But Genshin was popular, so there yeah. are and like Honkai Third Impact was popular. So yeah. and uh, one more thing I want to bring up, um, I know you hate them, Santo, but they're my favorite band. I liked seeing Poe to the Fall perform live. I muted it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, I was also like half play, half watching the Game Awards, half playing Dark Tide for for part of it. The performance looked very like uh, choreographed and crazy. <laughs> well, apparently it's like so. It, it's a much condensed version. Like the full song is like actually like fifteen minutes. <laughs> but apparently, All like right. it's an. In- entire sequence in the game oh wow um and uh, like i i so i recently bought or just the other day i bought uh the double pack for max Payne one and two okay i am going 
like just everything I've heard about Alan Wake 2, I'm going down the Remedy verse rabbit hole. <laughs> I'm going to start with Max Payne 1 and 2, then go into Alan Wake. Just so, like that way I know, like by playing Max Payne 1 and 2, I know like more about the character that Alan Wake is writing. I have this vague recollection that Max Payne 3 is bad. Uh, also wasn't made by Remedy. Oh, well, there, that's probably <laughs> why. Um, yeah, no, Ma- Max Payne, owned by Rockstar, 1 and 2 made by Remedy. Max Payne is the character Alan Wake writes about in his books, but because they don't own it, they have to call him something else in Alan Wake. But it's just Max Payne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Peak I, discomfort. I, like I said, I haven't spent a lot of time. Uh, I didn't watch the whole thing. Um, but one thing I will say is that I saw Space Marine 2 got announced. And mostly I'm just surprised that that game's getting a sequel after like 12 years. Like I was looking at on Steam and it's just like you feel like there's a Warhammer 40k game coming out every two weeks. There's so many. There are so many Warhammer 40k games coming out, which is actually why I'm surprised. Like, I'm kind of surprised that it went so long before they made a sequel to Space Marine because I remember that people liked that game a lot. Generally, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it was basically Gears of War with Space Marines, uh, which is basically what Gears of War is already. (laughs) It's just now it's 40k branding. But uh, I was happy to see that it's going to have Tyranids. Because one yeah. thing I will, I will say about 40k games is that I am sick of chaos. Every single game is like Space Marines versus Chaos. Space, or Imperium versus Chaos. Or Imperium versus it's, Chaos. It's just like... And I'm like, there's so much interesting stuff in the 40k universe. And Games Workshop just gets tunnel vision on Space Marines and Chaos. Every, like, just all the time. It happens even in the tabletop. where Yeah, the, the, and like... There's not enough Tau, there's not enough Orcs, there's not nearly enough Orcs. There's not nearly enough Orcs, which is actually really weird because they, the Orcs are actually like, I feel, I feel like the Orcs, especially as they've gone and kind of developed um, some of the character of this, like, the Orcs have this, like, kind of amusing British, like, cockney kind of thing in their in their lines and like just the writing and the silly things like oh the red ones go faster like there's so much to draw from with the orcs and they're like weirdly underrepresented in the games except for dawn of war dawn of war gives a lot of great stuff dawn the dawn war series gave a lot of great great stuff to the orcs like great lines and and just fun fun stuff like uh, there was a like orc based like dog fighting game like flight, flight, flight dog fighting games like Crimson Skies or something like that apparently it wasn't that good oh so I mean we talked about it yeah well I, and that's part of the problem is that there's a lot of 40k games there's too many I think and a, a bunch of them are kind of bad or just underdeveloped I feel like mm-hmm. uh, Dawn of War the first one I feel like was a high point where they made Dawn of War and then they made three expansion packs that just continually added to the game to the point where it got basically all of the uh, like kind of popular fact like got everybody it got like everybody except Tyranids, which was like aw yeah it never got Tyranids. <laughs> you can't put the Zerg game here yeah <laughs> real time strategy game what the hell <laughs> yeah actually yeah fun fact Starcraft was supposed to be a 40k game and Blizzard started making their 40k game and then went to games workshop and games workshop was just like no 
And so they just made it anyway. And God, uh, that's that's one of the, the most hilarious like missed opportunities. Yeah, that's such a big miss. Can you imagine? Can you imagine like if StarCraft was actually a 40k game? It would be crazy. It would be like, oh man. Like the entirety of the 40k like landscape would be different. Yeah. So uh yeah, <laughs> absolutely the biggest L GW ever ever had was turning down Blizzard to make 40k uh StarCraft. <laughs> and uh but yeah, like I feel like it's good to see some 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 like there's Tyranids in Space Marine 2. I'm like, okay, yeah. The Tyranids the Tyranids don't get nearly enough love, which is actually weird because it's such an easy there yeah, it's just like, okay, these are this it's the alien faction in your space thing. <laughs> yeah. It's the most alien faction. And it's like such an easy sell too, because it's like, you know, like there's so many things like Starcraft, Starship Troopers, you know, Alien, where like clearly there's a lot of um, like there's a lot of popular like culture that the uh, around aliens that the Tyranid faction in 40k basically kind of uses, and GW's just like eh, nah, we don't, we don't like. It. So it's good to see them, but uh, I'm still. I'm not actually that excited for the game itself just because mm. I played Space Marine and thought that it was just, it was okay. <laughs> I'm also just 40k'd out. I, no, I'm just, I've just been disappointed. Like, we were playing Dark Tide last night and I was kind of like, this game's okay. But it just disappoints me. Like, the aesthetic's great, but the actual gameplay, I'm just like, it's Left 4 Dead, but worse. I never got into 40k. There's been a couple times I've been close. Yeah. I love the stack of the space wolves. Just dudes in power armor riding giant wolves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, and I guess like one other thing that was announced at the Game Awards that could potentially be interesting is a Metaphor Refantasio, which is uh, a game from uh, creators of Persona 3, 4, and 5. And they went off to... Well, no, it's still an Atlas game. They don't like, leave to new studios. But the, like, the creative leads of that and like the same they got the same composer same character uh de uh designer and stuff so it's basically just like okay all the same people but not the same universe i don't I know to say i knew it was a jrpg as soon as you said the title well yeah i don't know what that <laughs> game's supposed to be because i saw like in the trailer a section that looked turn-based and then a section that looked action combat yeah and <laughs> and like a section that was just like pure action where it was like running like it's like a crash bandicoot level they're running kind of like towards the camera like a, a bridge like collapsing behind them i was like what the hell what's going on <laughs> and it also looked like there's like social links and stuff like personas i was like okay it's, it's weird it, it it looks more to it looks to me what people probably expected fire or uh smt cross fire emblem to look like in terms of aesthetics in, yeah, I agree. aesthetics yeah not idols <laughs> <laughs> what, what a what a swerve one, one of the biggest swerves ever uh actually there are two other things uh that uh slipped my mind uh dragon ball sparking zero got to see a little bit of in-game of that and then yeah that looks like uh tenkaichi and actually after the fact it did come out that the game is going to have a large roster which perfect is what i want from that game like I, playing I, playing like Bukai 
Tenkaichi 3 was it that you had? Yep. Like, I didn't necessarily love playing that game, but the fact that the roster had every side character in the entire series basically, like, playable and, like, slightly unique was just, like, crazy and kind of yeah. hilarious. Um, and, yeah, I, I was a little worried that uh, modern, a modern version of this would be a small base roster and a ton of paid DLC, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing which really surprised me, not that it's a game I'm interested in, but is that Skull and Bones got a release date. <laughs> yeah, and you were telling me that uh, it's because of taxes. Pretty much. They are legally obligated by... I think you said Singapore. Yes, yeah, the Singaporean they government. They are legally obligated by the Singapore government to release this game. <laughs> what? Because they were given substantial tax breaks. Uh, this for... is an Ubisoft game, by the oh, way. Okay. <laughs> for, it, it, like, it's basically there. Ubisoft Sea of Thieves. Yeah, just like but I think it. Game. But I think it's been in development since before Sea of Thieves. They got announced around the same time. It's yeah. Like, oh, is this like the new thing that's going to be like big and game? Is like a bunch, a, bunch, a bunch of pirate games or something like that? And it's like, well, <laughs> it's going to take a while. Well, like, Th three player co op, which is an interesting number. Yeah, no, it, it's weird. Yeah, There's always... a lot of games doing the three player co op now. It's weird. Oh, you, you know what I saw what, that was released this year? Trying five. Five? Oh, they're on five now. Yeah. Jeez. Jeez. <laughs> it probably plays the exact same as the other ones. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> like, oh, that's pretty crazy. I don't I don't mind. I, I, I didn't mind trying. I, I've played the first two. They were, they were, they were, they were, they were good. They were okay. They were okay. Yeah. If you're looking for a three-player co-op game, I mean, that's the one. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> three-player asymmetric co-op. Yeah, I, I, it's a, you know, they're, they're fun. They're mm. fine. They, they don't, they don't blow me away. Well, that, that was the, uh, you know, the industry as a whole, like the big Jeff Keighley's Game Awards, but I look forward to uh, our awards, the game of, the games of our year, which uh, that podcast will be coming out in uh, January um, at some point, I guess. <laughs> our schedule has been erratic. Uh so look forward to that uh if you you know have any questions or comments for us you can leave them in the comments of our youtube video or email us at three levels deep at outlook.com and enjoy the holidays everybody stay safe stay sane <laughs> which is sometimes <laughs> difficult uh, uh yeah have a good one see you next year see you